This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Tuesday to you. Hope it's going well. Uh, if you're in the East Coast, you're preparing for another Nor'easter. If you're in Alabama, you're recovering from a tornado. Hmm. It's crazy. The weather is crazy. We hope you're doing well where you are. Uh, welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with uh, Jeff and Terry, again, spending all night researching and preparing for what I think today is one of my favorite interviews, maybe, well, not ever. We've got a big dog coming. <laughs> Way to sell it. It's, it's, <laughs> well, I've, had, I've had other interviews that were awesome, but today, Captain Scott <laughs> Kelly will be joining us. We've got a great uh, discussion with a man that's been in space 520 days, which uh, almost beats Jeff's record. Almost. Almost. Not quite. So um, we'll be talking with – seriously, that's the guy that carries today the, the longest record for an American in space. 340 days straight, almost a year. Take that, Take Buzz that. Aldrin. Buzz. Neil Armstrong. How long were you up there? Anyway, pretty cool stuff. Um, let's get uh, to Terry, who's chomping at the bit to get to the news. Terry, what should we be focused on? An explosion at a FedEx facility near San Antonio, Texas, was reportedly caused by a package bomb that was en route to Austin, where four such bombs within the last two weeks have killed two people and injured four others. One woman was treated at the scene for a headache, but there were no serious injuries. Several outlets, including CBS Austin and the Washington Post, report the package was heading to Austin, an Austin address, when it detonated in the facility just after midnight local time. Uh, FBI officials said it was more than possible the early morning bomb was related to the other local explosions. Wow. All the other bombs this month were hand-delivered to the scenes, but the officials report on Monday that the attacker or attackers have been evolving in their methods. Tuesday's package reportedly contained nails uh, and other metal shrapnel, just like the four previous bombs. Remember the one over the weekend? It was a Sunday night. It was a tripwire. Yeah. Stretched across the street that some uh, people on a bike were able to trip. So they're investigating. They're not sure what's going on. They they actually asked uh, for help from the person. Like, send us, if you have, communicate with us. You have, you have a message. You're mad about something. And that's when they attacked again. So oh, man. We'll see what happens. Attorney Sir President Donald Trump would reportedly sat down for the first time with the in person with special counsel Robert Mueller's investigative team. According to CNN, the meeting took place last week, focused on the topics investigators could inquire of Trump if they had a face-to-face meeting with him. CNN also reports that Mueller's team wants to ask Trump about the firing FBI Director James Comey, in addition to the president's knowledge of former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn's phone calls with the former Russian ambassador. Mm. Key topics. Facebook slid $42 billion in market value since the New York Times reported Friday that Cambridge Analytica harvested private information from Facebook profiles of more than 50 million users without their permission. After a weekend of backlash, the social network stock was down 7% Monday, while the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down more than 1%. The stock drop also comes as social networking site investigates employee Joseph Chandler's ties to the data firm. Chandler is currently a virtual reality researcher at Facebook, what was, but was the former director of global science research, the firm who provided the data to Cambridge Analytica. 
who then provided it to others and shouldn't it's have. crazy. By the way, this same, um, one of the whistleblowers in that whole Cambridge Analytica thing was saying that they were testing Trump presidential campaign slogans in 2014. Hmm. So they, like, like build a wall, and they were testing, showing videos of people climbing walls and testing videos about make it great, or the swamp, kind of drain the swamp idea. Oh, wow. They toss it out, see what, what info it out came there. back. By the way, in 2014, so the idea that President Trump just kind of did this at the last minute, maybe it's not so true. Didn't he declare? He'd ha- he'd, yeah, he probably declared or probably 2014, early 2015, and then you run the entire year and then 2016. So, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, crazy, huh? That's in- Finally, a new massive study of 2.3 million drivers by ZenDrive found that not even the threat of going to jail seems to be able to stop people from using their phones while behind the wheel. And Mississippians are the worst abusers of the bunch. Really? This out of Bloomberg. Uh, among 18% of drivers in the Magnolia State are considered phone addicts. That's 18% of drivers are phone addicts. Wow. Meaning they call, text, or fiddle with apps at a rate that is more than three times that of the average driver. And that's even with a statewide ban on texting in place. Mississippi isn't an outlier in that regard, though. In the 15 states that have taken the additional step of banning handheld devices altogether, the number of phone addicts only dropped by 10%. Wow. Doesn't seem to scare the people. The people, yeah. They apparently don't quite get what prison's like. And what's probably a surprise to any, or probably a surprise to anyone who lives there, New England and in the Pacific Northwest had the most low-risk drivers. Oh, really? Right, but people probably still complain about, they're always looking at their phone. That's the, always when I know someone's going slow on the freeway, Yeah, and they're like right in the middle of everyone, and they're right. going really slow, and you yeah. drive by, and they're looking at their phone. You know what I've noticed? It's usually a cop. Well, they those have- co- Those cops drive so slow, they drive me crazy. How can I they also get have, to work on time if the cops are going to drive the speed limit? They also have laptops right there in the front I seat. I know. So playing, are they distracted? Well, I saw one guy playing Fortnite. There you go. You can always tell when there's a cop on the freeway because everybody is going at a snail's pace. It's amazing. Areas with the most high-risk drivers were dotted throughout the South. Really? So the South, scary, dangerous tech drivers, and the Northeast- not so scary, but doesn't a lot of the technology come from the or no northwest? Doesn't mm. the northwest? Doesn't a lot of tech come from northwest? Yeah, and they're fairly low when you're looking well, at these scales. It's, they're probably on the yeah. They're they're doing it all day. They're like, why do it while we drive? Right. Well, a lot of people in Seattle, for instance, don't drive. They take the bus. Ah, it's a thing. Look it up. I lived there for five years. Yeah, you did. You took the census there. So if anybody has a census no, problem, I administered the census there. That's it. Yeah, I was the census there. Yeah, you always made people. You thought census and sensei were the same thing, and then you're like, "This is gonna be the coolest job ever. I'm gonna be a sensei." I just thought that because that was what the general consensus was. Uh, anywho, um, that's. Uh, <laughs> Speechless. I don't know quite what to say after that. So everybody's battling now weather. That's, I mean, the, the fourth nor'easter. Right. And we're supposed to, the, the government needs to figure out a funding bill by Friday, and the storm could affect that because if the sta- office staff and the aides can't make it in from the suburbs into D.C., then yeah. the functionality of offices grinds to a halt and they can't pass bills, and we need this by Friday or we shut down. Oh, this is, and Corker, by the way, may throw a cork in it. Is he going to become 
he, uncorked, as he we just made, heard. Corker is saying maybe we ought to have a, a law put in the bill, this mandatory spending bill thing, that is about you, how, you, how the president can't fire Mueller. Oh, I heard about that this morning. That's it's interesting. He's kind of teasing him with it. He's That's like, interesting that they're – Yeah. Playing with them. And it, it has bipartisan support. Paul Ryan's office came out and yeah. said we're supportive of this. Mitch McConnell's office has yet to say anything about anything because he's just hiding. He's terrified. As the turtle backs into his shell, so to speak. Are you saying Mitch McConnell's a turtle? Some people do. I don't know. Is he bald? No. Yeah. Does he wear tortoise shell glasses? No. Okay. Well, but he does wear glasses. Yeah. I don't think they're tortoise shell. Hmm. Yeah, but many Republicans come out and say, yeah, Mueller is, you know, we shouldn't mess with, with Mueller. But Don't then when it comes Mueller. to this law, they won't touch it because yeah. they need Trump to get reelected. OK, that's kind of how this works. That's kind of politics. Yeah. yeah, it's all politics. Hey, up next, we're going to get away from politics. We're going to be talking with Captain Scott Kelly. Um, man, oh, man, 500, I think, in 20 days he spent in space. Uh, one of the longest. By the way, he also had a twin, if you remember, that was also an astronaut. And uh, we're going to find out really what happened to his DNA after being in space as long as he was. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, honored today to have a true blue American hero on the line with us. Scott Kelly is a former military fighter pilot and a test pilot, an engineer, a retired astronaut, and a retired U.S. Navy captain. In October 2015, he set the record for the total accumulated number of days spent in space, the single longest space mission by an American astronaut, And uh, which, by the way, blew my mind. It's already That record's already been broken. Uh, twice, um, believe it or not. and But uh, Captain Scott Kelly is joining us today to talk about his book, Endurance, A Year in Space, A Lifetime of Discovery. Discovery. Captain Kelly, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. And I, uh, yeah, the, the record that was broken twice was the total number of days in space. I still have the the single longest mission, mission for an American astronaut. Do yeah. you really? I mean, 520 days was was because and four missions you've had, um, but you were in space on one flight, one one mission for 340 days. Is that right? Yeah. yeah Unbelievable! Wow. Well, we're honored to have you here. And I, uh, when I told my son that I had, was going to have you on the on the phone today, on the show today, he just was jealous as ever. So just know that there's a lot of people that that look up to you, that revere you. And thank you, too, for your service to our country. It's amazing what you've been able to do. I appreciate that. You bet. Now, talk to me. What What is it like? Um, 520 days in space, by the way, and you've now become even more notorious because of some of the research they did with your brother, who also uh, was an astronaut, Mark Kelly. Um, and they're finding out that your your DNA is apparently different and has changed by being in space um, than your twins. Yeah, well, I don't know if notorious is the right word, <laughs> but maybe uh, it got a little bit of attention. Yeah, it did. Um, yeah, I read that. I read that about my DNA being does, different. 
Now, what's it like to have your brother, Mark Kelly, who's also an astronaut? I mean, are you I guess you can just always drop the fact that you've got more records than he does. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and now I don't even have to say we're identical twins anymore because my DNA has been changed. You've shifted enough. How how has how has going to space impacted your body? What what has it done to you? And do you notice it? No, I don't notice anything. I mean, certainly when I got back, I uh, you know there was a readjustment period. Uh, yeah, I talk about that in my in my book. Yeah, actually, right at the beginning, but. Uh, yeah, now I don't feel any differently as a result of my time in space. What do you notice? To me, I've always wondered, especially with the International Space Station, what are relationships like there? I mean, I know you're professionals and you're there to do business, but what happens when you show up and you meet each other and do you ever just think, whoa, that guy's got an attitude? Well, you know the people you're going to fly in space with generally for years prior, so... Um, I say generally because there's, uh, I had the experience where I was on the space station because I was there so long. They had a, a crew member swap out and there was a guy, uh, a Kazakh guy that came up to the space station that I didn't even know what the guy looked like before he showed up, <laughs> um, which was kind of unusual, but you know, everyone's a professional and we're very, you know, well vetted. Yeah. Or, carrying space agencies. So, you know, there's it's rare for there to be a problem with people getting along. Does I mean, I guess, too, when you're in charge of some of these missions and, and commander of the mission, um, there is, I guess there's a hierarchy there as well. So even though you're professionals, do, do you ever have to pull rank or is it just so obvious what needs to be done? Yeah, it's really the latter. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone knows what their role is, and, um, you know, being the commander, yeah, there's a little bit of, you know, organizational work um, that goes into it on a on a day-to-day basis, but it's not like you're up there barking orders at people. Yeah. Um, you know, mostly that role is um, important during an emergency on board, and, uh but otherwise, it's huge, just all kind of like colleagues and friends. Did you notice um, and talk to us about it? Because I assume with you, there is a moment where, you know, you've done this so much. Uh, you were I think you were on two um, where, where you uh, you commanded two shuttle discoveries, space shuttles. And then you went up in the Soyuz, uh, Russian Soyuz spacecraft. Was it another two times? I flew as the pilot of the Space Shuttle Discovery on my first flight. I was a commander of Space Shuttle Endeavor on my second flight, and then I flew twice on the Soyuz after that. Did What took your breath away? When you think back to this um, and all of your experiences in space, talk about a few of the moments that really just blew your mind. You know, watching um, you know, on the Space Shuttle the first time, the mind blower. Oh, I... uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, landing the space shuttle as the commander was exciting, and uh, you know, a uh, highlight of my flying career. Um, you know, spending a year in space for me was a uh, a significant life event. Um, the spacewalks that I did on the space station this last time, and then the 
you know, coming back on the Soyuz is a is a crazy experience. Is it really just just the ride is crazy? Yeah, it's like you know the way I describe it often is like it's kind of like going over Niagara Falls in a barrel. <laughs> wow! While you're on fire, yeah, <laughs> a burning barrel as you're flying over. Uh, Niagara. What's it like? I can't imagine the countdown as you're as you're basically strapped into fuel boosters and you know knowing the potential you know dangerousness of it all. What's that like as you're waiting for the countdown of the space shuttle to take off? Uh, you know, for the shuttle, you have a lot to do. Uh, certainly, you know, your first time, you don't really know what to expect. Um, you know, leading up to it, you do think about your mortality, or at least I did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the fact that this is risky, I could get killed. Um, but then, you know, on the day, the day of, you're, you know, you're focused on what you're doing, and you, I think you've put behind most of the apprehension. Now, you know, when you're getting ready to launch on a rocket with 7 million pounds of thrust, it's serious business. Um and and you you definitely realize that no question. Oh, that's amazing. What? Um, how did it change you? Just as a as a person, has it changed you? I mean, I imagine being away from your loved ones, your your daughters, um, your fiance. I mean, what's that like to to come back after three hundred and forty days? Um, you know, I think the experience, especially when you spend a lot of time in space and you have the uh, the time to look at the earth and uh, think about your the privilege that you have to see the planet like that and see how incredibly beautiful it is. Yet, you know, the environment looks fragile. Our atmosphere looks fragile. There's certain parts of the earth that are um, you know, almost always covered in pollution. But you can, you know, you I think you appreciate uh, what we have here more than uh, – you know, you also recognize that there's a lot of uh, bad stuff that happens on the earth because you follow the news and it's almost always bad news. Yeah. So I think the experience, you know, having this different perspective, some people describe it as an orbital perspective, uh, makes you a more, um, you know, I think empathetic person and someone who's more kind of, uh, I don't know, in touch with humanity maybe. Yeah. Now, powerful. Um, again, we're speaking with uh, Captain Scott Kelly, who uh, still holds many records or some records. Uh, the the single longest space mission, for example, uh, 340 days in space as an American astronaut. He also is the author of the book Endurance, A Year in Space, A Lifetime of Discovery. I mean, you've also, Scott, had your hands on, I mean, the Hubble the Hubble Space Telescope, you were on that mission. You, you've been around a lot of pretty monumental things. Yeah, I've had a, a privileged uh, career at, at NASA. I, um, you know, I just feel lucky to, you know, gotten more there when I did and had the experiences I uh, was able to have. I mean, I having flown on the shuttle twice and the Soyuz twice and spent 500 days on the space station and got to do a few spacewalks. I, you know, pretty much got to do, I think, you know, just about everything there is uh, to do in, you know, the time that I was there um, at NASA, which was 20 years almost. Mm. 
and you really are kind of an ambassador. Do you feel like you're more of an ambassador to the world um, just because being on an international space station is did that change your view at all from just being an American astronaut? I am the United Nations champion for space. Hmm. So, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is even bigger than something the United States has handed you. Is it? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's it's nice, I guess, you know, to be able to, you know, for people to look towards me for, you know, commentary on things that we do in space and, um, you know, for people to, you know, associate associate with me, me with something that, you know, I feel very strongly about. Yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah. How did you um what advice do you give for the rest of us that uh, that aren't up there orbiting, never had the chance to orbit? What are we missing? What are we not getting just because we're so we, – where we can't see the forest for the trees? Well, I think when people look up and they look at the sky, they think it's like infinite. Nah, not really. It's uh, – our atmosphere kind of looks like a thin film over the surface. Not oh, wow. That big. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I, those things I described, you know, this uh, orbital perspective, this, uh, you know, sense of uh, connection to the Earth um, and humanity is, is something that if, uh, you know, more people had uh, the opportunity to find space, I think, you know, people would certainly be able to, you know, experience that as well. And, you know, I think, you know, as we you know, continue to march forward in time, those opportunities will um, increase. Um, I don't know what that was. <laughs> you were just beamed up. Yeah, I'm in my car, but uh, I'm not driving. So. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think people will have those opportunities, and I think that'll be great for our uh, for humanity. Yeah. No, I, I think so, too. What do you uh, – help us understand, too, because we talk about NASA funding. We talk about the space program, how some we've, we've backed off some of the funding um, uh, for some of these things. Why do we need and do we need a strong space program? I, you know, I think for, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, the technology uh, we get uh, from doing stuff that seems impossible uh, is – technology that we use on earth and it improves our lives i think we're naturally you know explorers it's part of our dna um and you know history has shown us that you know civilizations that stop uh, exploring and growing and expanding cease to exist so you know space flight and space is our future now i don't think we're all going to move to space Mm. but um you know having that as a destination for some of Earth's population, Mars is an example, is going to be important. And I think also the uh, inspirational value of having a space program where, uh, you know, kids can be inspired to, uh, because they're inspired to work for NASA and maybe be an astronaut or an engineer or a scientist, um, that is something that helps our economy in the United States. It helps our country. So, you know, all those kids aren't going to go work for NASA, but if the space program uh, 
inspires kids to do better in their science and math homework, mm. that benefits all of us. Absolutely. Were, were you were you a big science kid? Were you the mathematician? Did you know deep no, down? Was, yeah, that's the other thing that's interesting about me is that I was a really bad student and, <laughs> uh, you know, spent the first, like, 13 years of my education staring out the window. Uh, and it wasn't until I found a book myself, which was The uh, Right Stuff by Tom Wall. Oh, there you go. Inspired me to, you know, work harder, to become an engineer, because I wanted to fly airplanes and then fly in space someday. That is, isn't that amazing? So you're motivated by hearing the story and and reading the book. Um, uh, some uh, some some literary approach to the whole thing. Um, how how amazing is that? And then that gets one of our our great uh, astronauts up there. Um, and by the way, I've got to ask you just because I love uh, kind of the relationship side of life. You're stuck on a, a space station. Um, what are some of your funniest memories of, of and interactions? What are some of the things that stand out for you where you think, oh, that's just funny, no matter where you are? You know, a specific – you know, I, I really – like sharing specific uh, humorous anecdotes, I would have to think about that for a while. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of – you know, a lot of, you know, you're living up there, right? Yeah. So you're living there. You're roommates. People for a long time. Yeah. So there's funny stuff that goes on and you play, you know, jokes on one another. You know, my first flight, the, one of my crewmates hit all my underwear. <laughs> well, what do you, you know, do then? I just didn't care, which was really <laughs> good because I was in space. So yeah. Why, why, why would I care about my underwear? Yeah. Who cares about that? <laughs> Which that, was really good practice for spending a year in space, because then I didn't have to change my underwear very often. That's right, yeah. The man that just didn't care. Oh, how fun, though. Is um, And I guess you have two daughters. What uh, what what do you want them to remember? Um, and how do you keep a relationship with them? If you're up in space, are, they, are you allowed to communicate back home very often? How regularly do you get to talk? Um, yeah, we have... Uh, a uh, pretty good connection to the earth with a satellite link where you can make phone calls and email, even video conferences on the weekend. But when you said, what do I want them to remember? What do I yeah. want them to remember? I would like them to remember everything, but uh, they don't do they? <laughs> yeah, they just don't do. Um, because I, you, you really put yourself in an interesting place uh, because you become a hero. You become so many people look up to you. You've seen the world in a way that only a few have seen it. Does how does that play on you, just as as a human being? Do do you feel more of a responsibility? Yeah, you know, I think having that uh, privileged uh, position in in my career and that perspective makes me, uh, you know, feel a you know responsibility to give back to the. Uh, you know, the people that sent me there. Yeah. What do you... All the U.S. Uh, citizens, I guess. So you're, you're, you've you've got a book, Endurance, A Year in Space, A Lifetime of Discovery. What What's next for you in your life? You know, I'm working on a couple other books right now. And, um, 
you know, after that, I do a lot of public speaking. But after that, you know, once I get through that the next year or so, I'll have to see. I'll have to figure something out. Maybe a second career? Maybe. Maybe you could drive bus for the school district? Maybe I'll go on the senior tour. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? The problem with that is I'm not very good at golf, but I always hear other people say that. Yeah, you're going to go play the senior tour. Well, we appreciate your time. I know you're a very, very busy man, but uh, again, I want to thank you for your service and just giving hope, I think, to everybody. You don't have to be a great student at first. You do have to find some motivation, and then you got to work hard. You didn't come by this easily. You've you've done a lot of amazing things. Uh, Captain Scott Kelly, so appreciate you and your, your time. Again, the name of the book is Endurance, A Year in Space, A Lifetime of Discovery. Thanks, Matt. Thank appreciate you. It. Take care. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends. You know, how cool would that be? Just to, I'm just going to go to space. I'm going to I'm going to just go fly for 540 520 days total. Floating through space, four different trips he took and um man, does that not does that not keep you uh feeling young, you would think? And then going to every high school that you ever visit, every school you talk to all these kids, all the energy of these people that would love to hear every story you've got. Uh, it's it's powerful. So one of the things I thought we could talk about in our Coach's Corner today is how do you stay young? What are some ways that we can, as uh, human beings, stay young in spirit and actually find uh, that that youth, that little spring in our step that sometimes we lose as we just get stuck here on Earth? Many just call it, I guess, gravity, but some, it's just depression. We fall into a funk and we're not quite... Uh, as interested in life anymore as we used to be. We're not as curious as we used to be. So I'm going to give you some tools, some ideas to help you uh, stay young in spirit. The first principle that we will talk about is how uh, is we got to move out of the shallow end of the pool. Quit being satisfied with knowing a little about a lot of things. And instead, what if we could actually try to take our knowledge a little bit deeper and go deeper into something. Do you feel like in your own life you have a deep, deep knowledge about anything? Have you studied a concept or an idea or an area of expertise? And and maybe it's your career, but do you have other areas as well in your life that you have uh, where you have studied deeply? You know, if um, if we keep pushing for deeper waters, think about it. When kids are young. They, they, they do play in the shallow end of the pool, right? But you may notice that they always seem to be drawn to go down to those deeper and deeper waters. Even if they're hanging onto the wall, they're drawn to the deeper water. And as adults, I feel like many of us have lost our curiosity that drives us to the deeper end of the pool. So we've got to learn to engage our curiosity a little bit more and uh, and see if we can't find something that interests us. It could be anything, a hobby like fly fishing. It could be social media. It could be learning to run social media better, maybe a hobby like uh, you know dance or some uh, religious field of study where we're going to take the topic deeper and actually become really, really uh, good at it, so good at it that maybe people would want to hear you talk about it. 
And uh, so that's that's just a simple idea that I think all of us could do to find more passion in our lives is move out of the shallow end of the pool. Another way I found just in my own life is we've got to laugh a lot more. Some researchers claim that children laugh from three to four hundred times a day, while adults only laugh about 20 times a day. And uh, if you think about it, too, that means kids are getting more of the neurochemicals that you that you get when you laugh. Um, that uh, and adults aren't getting uh, you know a tenth of that, so we've got to figure out a way to laugh a lot more. And um, one of the fu- funny things I found too about laughter is it is so contagious. If you don't believe me, go find a simple um, video of uh, kids like on YouTube laughing, like little babies laughing. Somebody sent me one the other day of just this cute little you know chunky little chubby kid. Uh, baby in a diaper, just laughing. And I I just, watching it, you immediately start laughing because it is contagious. Um, Laughing burns calories, they say, 10% to 20% increase in your heart rate, which means you could burn about 10 to 40 calories by simply laughing 10 to 15 minutes. Laughing is good for your relationships. Research shows that couples who use laughter and smile when discussing a touchy subject feel better uh, in the immediacy and re- uh, immediately after the discussion and reports higher levels of satisfaction in their relationship. Uh, laughter is attractive. Researchers have found that women laugh 126% more than men in cross-gender conversations, with men preferring to be the one prompting the laughter. Nothing is more attractive than when, I guess, a man makes a joke and a woman actually laughs at it. Ha <laughs> ha! So it is attractive in some ways. It's also good for your memory. You're more likely to retain things if you're learning and laughing at the same time. And it enhances immunity. It improves sleep. It, uh, it eases digestion. It enhances your oxygen intake. It boosts immune function. So if you want to look younger and feel younger, you got to get 20 minutes of laughter a day. One of the great ways to do that nowadays is Netflix, YouTube. There's so many ways um, just, you know, watching Studio C from BYU Broadcasting or find some way to get more laughter into your life. Another one of uh, the ways that I've found that you could put a little more spring in your step is break some of your own rules. A lot of us grew up with really strict, uh, stringent kind of boundaries or protocols that we were living our lives by. And, um, you know, I know people that uh, were empty nesters, and the minute they became empty nesters, everything in the life changed for them. They decided they're going to break a bunch of rules. They can go on short vacations. They could go take extended weekends. They don't even have to dress to walk around the house anymore. They're breaking all their rules, simply adding some excitement to your life by by, uh, breaking some of your own rules. Now, I wouldn't break the big ones, right? But there's a lot of little things that we think we must do every day. Hey, maybe you don't need to have the bran flakes this morning. Maybe go for something crazy, something with sugar in it, some sugar cocoa puffs. Live large. And another uh, simple one is just simply to adapt a life of awe. Awe is that feeling you feel when you look at the Grand Canyon and you're blown away. Or you see an animal in nature and you're like, and you want to pull your car over and watch it. We just need to find more awe in our lives. So let's push our limits uh, and let's today spend a little more time looking for something that literally just makes us stop and think, wow, cool, cool stuff. Anyway, some basic rules for all of us to, uh, you know, get that young spirit back in us. 
it's not easy, but uh, it's definitely worth it. We've got a long life to live, so we may as well do it with some hope and some spirit. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, our our friend on the show, Kim Giles, who's the president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching, uh, she joined us on a show several months back to talk to us about reactive parenting. We all do it. We all react in a way that uh, that maybe we're not so proud of. And so I wanted to revisit that interview today. I began the interview by pointing out how overprotective some parents are. Not only are we overprotective, but we freak out yeah. if they do anything wrong whatsoever. And we handle those situations so badly. Yeah. I, I've noticed our fear, which drives most of our bad behavior, yeah. um, nobody triggers it better than our children because they so make us – they trigger our fear of failure and looking bad. Yeah, and they trigger our fear of loss because uh-huh. we're going to lose them. Yeah. Nobody scares us more. It's so true. So we behave really badly towards our children and in a moment when they really need us to show up for them. Yeah. But we're focused on our own fear. I had a a relative come home from an LDS mission. They had been out 18 months. She's a wonderful young woman. She came home. When she left, she was very dependent on her parents. And when she now that she's been gone for six, 18 months, she's learned to be independent. But they don't necessarily want to let her go. So they're trying to to push her back in that box and she just doesn't fit. And so she had to sit her parents down, which is something she never could have done before. And she's like, I'm I need to grow up. And I already have. I just need you to recognize. Now we need you to grow up. And And interestingly, they took it very well. But it could have gotten ugly and reactive because they could have gone. Oh, so what? Okay, then go do it on your own. Do it on your own. And they could have gotten really mean. And that's not going to help. It isn't. Um, I really believe that life is a classroom. I talk about that a lot. We're here to learn. And I believe your children are your very best teachers. And what we need to start seeing is our children are providing lessons for you to grow up. And every time they behave badly or have issues in their life, a matter of fact, um, my poor daughter just this weekend, she the just... The one I've met? No, okay. my my 20-year-old daughter just spent $500 to fix her car, uh-huh. and Saturday night it got stolen. Oh, no way. <laughs> and it's gone. It's gone. Oh, no. And she's no. falling apart. She's so upset. But it's been uh. interesting because I I really see everything that happens in my children's life as, as a lesson for me, a chance for me to grow. That's great. And learn. And I think no matter what happens with your children, no matter what they do, that this is today's lesson for you. Uh-huh. Um, it's, and, always, it's always really about you. It is. Because you're the only one that can learn the lesson, teach the lesson, be the lesson. So I don't know if you remember, I told you about my very favorite parenting book in the world right now. It's called The Conscious Parent. It's uh, a very Buddhist parenting yeah, book. Yeah. But I have to read this to you. He, he says in the book, through our children, we get orchestra seats to the complex theatrics of our own immaturity. Hmm. So true. They awaken our unresolved emotional issues. But because our children are vulnerable and powerless, we blame them for our, react, our reactivity. Yeah, right. Front row seats. To our immaturity. So we've got to notice when you react bad and flip out on your kids with anger, 
you know, disappointment, all of that kind of stuff. This this is your issues that are coming to the surface. So I've I've really found four main issues that I think as parents we got to start being aware of that come up. Cool. And the first one is an attachment to our image. Oh, we're so into that. That my, if my kid does something bad, mm-hmm. I'm going to look bad. And I think I told you before, my, my daughter got a tattoo. Yeah, yeah. And that was my first, like, what? Oh, what are people going to think of They're me? They're going to think you're horrible. <laughs> So if we're reacting from That's, that place, it's all about you and your fear of looking bad. And it's not about your child uh, and what they need from you in that moment. That it's so is sad because your concern, then it's they just see that you're just like that shallow. I mean, yeah. because you, you tried it. Well, no, I just because it starts there. Tattoos are the gateway drug to piercings. <laughs> and then we just go. But in reality, the whole time they just hear you talking about your fear. Yeah. It's all about you. And, you know, if you react that way, your children lose respect for you. Yeah, absolutely. They see right through it. So we've got to watch our attachment to image. Mm -hmm. Um, The second one is an attachment to perfection where we've really projected our fear of not being good enough onto them. And if you've got issues with perfectionism, you're going to have that about your children, too. And again, it's really about your issues. Um, Attachment to conformity. And I see this in our community a lot where I feel safe when I'm the same as everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Do not – yeah, and you want your Don't kids – Don't be different. No. We want them to fit in the box. Uh-huh. Not, and it's weird because when one of yours just doesn't fit and doesn't like, you know, sleeps through the bus or the lesson or – and they're – oh, I have a son that's – oh, man. What if he doesn't graduate? Yeah. He's missing a, one assignment basically. But he has to go be tested on it. And well, what, what if he doesn't? What if he can't graduate? What if, what if, what if, but the whole time I'm thinking, and what? He's yeah, still, he's really got a great, won't be the end of he's the an world. officer. He's all these other things. I'm like, <laughs> why are you so worried? But he's, but what if he can't? It's the fear. But then it's, I didn't think of that. It's conformity. He's not, just do it like everyone else. Just do it. We would like feel a lot else. safer if you would just fit in the box like all my friends oh, and that's their so children. so sad. We, we want you so predictable for our sake, not their sake. No, totally about you. That's pathetic. Come on. Okay, last one is an attachment to control. And control comes from that fear of loss. And and a lot of parents really struggle with this one. They've Mm. got to control everything with their children. They can't let go and let them make their own choices because it's got to fit the picture I had in mind. But you you don't – they're agents, right? When they're done at 18, 19, 20 or whatever, they got to move on without you. But you've controlled That's them here. That's the idea. <laughs> so that might be interesting because what if I think – so if I think their success is because of me because I've so controlled and I've been such a great parent. We have kids that play oh, musical think, instruments and, and everyone's like, oh, you guys are – these kids are fantastic. I'm like, mm-hmm. Matt, do you play an instrument? Not, uh, not a one. Yeah, Matt, you really don't get any credit not, for that. But it's That's funny, but we want to take credit. Oh, And then we're afraid if they do something bad, then, then, then we, it's, oh, it's, no, on, it's not on my us. kid. So we need to let go and yeah. distance. As a matter of fact, last night we had a Mother's Day gathering and my brother, his daughter just went to prom and she's telling us the story that the boy's mother came with them to prom. What? Came to the dinner, came to the dance. Why? Followed them in her car the What whole does she day. know that they don't know? <laughs> you got to watch out for my son. I don't know, but talk about needing to let go. Seriously. My goodness. That's we, scary. We've got to start letting them be independent. Right. And we've got to not make their life a reflection on us. Yeah. yeah. You can't we've get psychic. Uh, Stephen Covey always taught you can't get your psychic income from their accomplishments. 
Because mm, the minute like my that. income is attached to their accomplishments, then I am benefiting, which means when they start failing. So we've got to kind of redefine our role as a parent. Yeah. I, I, really, we've got to understand that they are here on their own classroom journey with lessons to learn that have nothing to do with you. Hmm. And we've got to separate that and recognize you're here to learn your lessons, but their journey is not going to look like yours. The lessons they need to learn are totally different than the ones yeah. you needed to learn. They're not yours. You don't own them. No. And, and yeah, we've got to not be attached. We've I love got to that. let go and trust a little bit. So I really teach my clients the key to this is, first of all, trusting that your value isn't on the line yeah. or attached to them, that you have the same value no matter what Regardless, happens around right. you. And that your classroom journey is going to be perfect. It's going to be the perfect education experience for you. And if we trust those, we ought to be able to let go of the attachment. Two basic ideas, really. You know, it's when I think about uh, reactive parenting, it's a, by the way, it was my book and my life could have been written on reactive parenting because I was the, I am the reactive parent. If I'm not careful. So that's why I was glad we listened to Kim. Hmm. Now, you guys don't do that. No, I do. You're young parents. My <laughs> wife looks at me and goes, what is up with you? And I go, oh, he's bugging me, my, my kid. <laughs> she goes, would you grow up? Your Fine. kid's bugging you? But you are, you're, you're not a reactive. My, my wife thinks I'm kind of going to war with my six-year-old. Really? Your yeah. six-year-old daughter. Last night, so it's... My my daughter has this way of not eating dinner, but eating all of the other foods that she wants. Yeah. And so last night, she just so happened to start feeling sick around dinner time. And then once dinner was over, she was up and running again. And I asked my wife, we didn't have a, a, a chance to finish this conversation, but I said, am I a bad father if I don't believe my six-year-old daughter? And like before I could finish my sentence, she's like, yes. Yes, like, you're oh, okay. I guess we'll talk about this later. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's one day. So she does it again tomorrow or yeah. today and she does it again tomorrow. Then we know she's probably going to be an actress. Well, it's just the timing of everything. It seems – I'm becoming like a conspiracy theorist yeah. because she seems to get all the foods that she wants without having to eat her dinner. And it's like, wait a minute. But she can do it in a way that you don't even realize it until days later. Or she's just being a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know who we blame for this. Is it, uh, is it our parenting? Is it our parents that did this to us? Is it just who we are or is it President Trump? <laughs> Somebody needs to pay for our parenting problem. But it's crazy. I, I, I'm way too hard on her because I think about the meals that I wouldn't eat as a kid. Yeah. I wouldn't eat liver and onions when my dad would put that in front of me. Oh, yeah. And well, yet yeah. I'm, I'm just like so insistent. That That's, she eat this meal. What that tells us is you're becoming a parent, and you're becoming a wonderful parent at that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, it is Parenting 101, right? It's hard. And so I think that's what's amazing. By the time your kids are 12, you I don't react nearly, I mean, half as much, not even that much. I, I hardly react to my kids anymore. So you're just not paying attention? The, yeah. Okay. They have to do something really crazy to make me think, what? It's just not worth it. Our biggest confrontation is dinner time because oh, yeah. the yeah. kids don't want to eat. Mm-hmm. So we usually just – if, if the boy doesn't eat, I wrap up the food, put it in the fridge. 
about a half hour later, I'm hungry. I bring out his dinner again. He gets mad. Do you at least do you at least try to make it fun and like do the foil into a swan or no, something? Okay. We just put it in the fridge. So we, we go You're through this process. I, I've been counseling. I look at my wife. I go, it's not worth getting mad over because it just ruins the night. Yeah. Just give him his food. We know it's things that he likes. Yeah. If he doesn't want to eat it, he'll, he'll eat learn. eventually. He'll learn. And and then I'm the one that goes off the handle later because of something he does. And she looks at me like, "What did you? What did we just talk about at dinner?" Mm. I know, I know. No, and then I it just, just makes me so do mad. You, yeah. Do you get the question? How many more bites? How oh, many more yeah. bites do I have to do? Just eat one bite. We gave him a piece of pizza last night. He's like, can I just like you know, one you know bite? What the real answer is though is you just don't give him any more food at the end of the day. I mean, you feed no. him dinner. If they don't eat it, that's fine. Yeah. Then they just get hungry, and they'll complain a million times. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, darn it. Remember dinner was so good? Remember those dino nuggets? His thing is, oh, I'm full, and he wants dessert. I'm like, really? Yeah. You were so full. Yeah, see? <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Parenting 101, folks. We're all living it. We're all trying to make it through it, and uh, that's why we do the show, to give you the tools, the information you need to be the kind of parent you want to be, to uh, lift our kids, too, to a whole new level. Uh, this is the Matt Townsend Show. We will continue the journey. More fun next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The team is gathered. And man, have we put together a show for you. We're going to be talking about teens and all of those calculated risks that they take. Are they just major risk takers? Or is there something going on developmentally that kids need to go through in order to uh, mature? We'll be talking about it. No, they're not just out there being crazy kids that are just doing stupid things. That's not their goal. So you're not talking like productive risk, you're talking well, more like reckless risk? Well, a lot of parents just think kids, all they are are risk takers, and it's not actually apparently the case. So hmm. my, They take more risks. When I was a kid and my friend was on top of the wooden fence, and he's yeah. just walking like on a, a tightrope across the top of the wooden fence, balancing. Yeah. Just, uh-huh. yeah. And then he fell off and stepped on a nail. Yeah. Ugh. Which, by the way, was really pretty, pretty good for him. Really? C- compared to what could have happened. Well, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, see, so I mean, a nail versus he had to get the tetanus shot. Being He's impaled fine. by a, a piece of wood, right? But so he was taking a calculated risk. No, there. no. What he was taking was a risk. Okay, but the parents think it's just stupid foolishness. So did his friend. But go ahead. But developmentally, he's actually starting to separate himself from his his. Uh, boundaried family he's starting okay. to actually grow now it seems crazy but we'll talk to an expert that's going to say some of that craziness is essential and we have to let kids be a little bit more risk-taking otherwise you will impede their ability going forward to actually venture out into the world see and i thought he was demonstrating the concept of survival of the fittest yeah. Where he makes a dumb decision, falls off the fence, and the rest of us go on with our lives. I'm guessing yeah. some of these deeper no. thoughts were not in his mind when he was up on that oh, fence. Oh, no. 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 But every teenager will venture out. In fact, that's why – think about it. If you had to choose to leave what you have now and risk going to like 
travel by foot thousand miles to maybe have a better life, better city, better family, better money, mm. better everything, better chance to find a wife. Think about that. You wouldn't dare do it as an older person because you've got too much established. Mm -hmm. But teens would. And because they would, that's what actually they're wired to go out and start testing the world. And if we're not careful as parents, we will like will harm their ability to do that. Hmm. So we'll be talking about risky teens and their lives up next. But before we get that, let's get to a, one of our risky adults. Whoa. Wow. Sorry, Terry South. Yeah. What's uh, going on with the headlines? A woman died after being struck by an Uber self-driving vehicle in Arizona, the first known death of a pedestrian struck by an autonomous vehicle on public roads. The New York oh. Times reported on Monday. The statement from Tempe police said the vehicle was in autonomous was in autonomous mode with a human safety driver behind the wheel. Hold on, they're calling. <laughs> yeah, human. They call him a human safety driver. Just the person. We're sitting talking there. a person sitting behind the wheel. Right. It says when it hit the woman who was crossing the street outside of a crosswalk. So the woman was jaywalking, and then the car hit her. It was quite a ways back from the intersection. Yeah. So maybe there was some confusion in the software yeah, as to an, what was that going was on. Not in the algorithm. Officials say the accident occurred overnight, so it was a night, low visibility, and the woman uh, had not been publicly identified. Uber said in a statement that they are fully cooperating with local authorities and has suspended, uh, suspended their self-driving car test in Tempe, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, and Toronto. According to Wired.com, under Arizona law, self-driving vehicles don't need a special permit to operate. A standard vehicle registration is sufficient. Furthermore, operators aren't required to share information with the authorities. This has been a drawing uh, tech companies who want to roll out driverless taxi services to Arizona because there's very little regulation as right. to what they can and can't do. So they like it there. We'll, uh, see, we'll see if that continues. Yeah. The White House and congressional Democrats traded immigration offers uh, futilely over the weekend, according to three sources familiar with the talks, leaving little chance of an immediate deal to protect dreamers. The White House on Sunday made an 11th hour push to include billions of dollars in border wall funding in a massive congressional spending bill due this week, but clashed with congressional Democrats over how far to go in protecting young immigrants that face deportations. The White House official asked Democrats to approve $25 billion for President Trump's border wall in exchange for extending the Deferred Action Childhood Arrivals Program through the fall of 2020. That would give Trump his full wall funding request in the must-pass spending bill and give him leverage over the DACA program heading into his 2020 re-election campaign. Uh. But Democrats balked, uh, demanding instead that the White House provide a pathway to citizenship for the 1.8 million young immigrants eligible under the DACA program. So they're trying to get DACA involved and the wall involved in the funding program that has yeah. to be signed by Friday and there's Smart. a storm coming in. And, and some are saying they'll get the Mueller investigation. Like you can't fire Mueller in the bill as well. Yeah, let's no. throw everything in that bill. The kitchen sink is so next. That so that we can't get anything passed. <laughs> Brilliant. Speaking of that storm, forecasters said today they upped their winter storm warning in New York, uh, New York City, as two systems appear to combine now to threaten to drop more than a foot of snow on the second day of spring, no less. As much as 18 inches expected in Philadelphia, with uh, more predicted in Washington, D.C., Boston, and Connecticut. The National Weather Service says the sleet will begin late Tuesday, but the heaviest snow will come Wednesday afternoon, along with yet another round of high winds, coastal flooding, even more power outages. It'll be the fourth nor'easter to hit the region in less than a month. Oh, wow. Do you know what the Rocky Mountains would do to have that snow? It would be great. They would love it. 
be 60 degrees Instead, here today. let's put it in Philadelphia. <laughs> tech Jobs, uh, this is the final one. Tech Jobs dominated Indeed.com's 2017 list of the best careers in the U.S., but this year other industries are jumping into some of the top spots. Of the top 25 jobs, 16 are on there that didn't, uh, didn't appear on the list last year. So there's 16 new jobs in the top 25 jobs in America. Whoa. Construction in particular is having a moment. Some construction roles jumped into the top 25 for the first time, while others saw their placement on the list uh, rocket higher in 2018. This uh, commercial project manager, for example, jumped from number 19 last year to the top spot this year on the list. Whoa. Wow. Now, Fortune Magazine very helpfully explains that commercial project managers are responsible for developing and overseeing commercial projects. Yeah. Thank which you. kind of is explained in the name, but they <laughs> seems put that in there. Anyway. The position saw a 277% growth in job postings between 2014 and 2017. Wow. So, commercial. Job? What is it? Commercial project managers. It's a big deal. Seems like a gig. Yeah. Here are the other jobs on on here. You have, uh, of course, commercial project manager. You have full stack developer. I think that was Jeff had that job once. That's That's the cup stacking, I believe. He was really good at that. Computer job. Uh, Computer vision engineer. Oh, please. Uh, Machine learning engineer. Okay. Pre construction manager, construction superintendent, optometrist. Post-construction manager. Data scientist, chief estimator. Oh, wow. I could do that job. Yeah. And development operations engineer. Now, the only thing that would make this better is if you were doing optometry while doing construction. Mm. That would be a high-paying job. Well, that will happen someday. Someday. Uh, You know what they need is um, bodyguard dog walkers. There you go. Did you know who Maisha Tate is? Maisha Uh, Tate? She's a mixed martial arts fighter, seven and a half months pregnant. Did you hear about this story? No, what'd she do? She was walking her cute little dog, Scooter, around the neighborhood, pregnant, and another dog attacked her. Hmm. So, A, don't attack a mixed martial arts expert. So when this dog jumped over to to basically get on the neck of her little pup, Maisha, pregnant, jumps down and tackles the dog and, like, throws it for wow. a throw that it's never experienced. And uh, luckily, but she got torn up and then saved her dog, picked her dog up, and the other dog eventually uh, went away. But she was scraped up. And then as she had time to think about it, she started feeling guilty about potentially endangering her baby. And anyway, but she's like, you know, what do you do? Just just reacting, just reacting. But everyone's fine. Maisha's fine. The baby's fine. And Scooter the puppy's fine. All is well. (laughs) Scary times, folks. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about teens and their calculated risks with an expert. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you grow healthier, happier families. Welcome back, friends. You know, everyone, every one of us, we do risky things at times, you know, things that maybe weren't thought out uh, to the degree that maybe we should have. But parents tend to think that their teenage kids are much bigger risk takers and they need to be more cautious. Uh, but is that true? Are they just out to to just do crazy things? Are they out to to maybe not quite 
use their brain as much as they they should be. Well, we've we've got an expert on the subject. Jessica Flannery's joining us. She's a graduate student in psychology program at Oregon and uh, has written an article that talks about the method of madness that is a teenager's decision-making process, and we wanted to bring that to you to help us all figure out what's going on in the minds of our teenagers. Jessica, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Are our teenagers just bad decision-makers, or, or are they prone to more risky behavior? What's really going on that makes them seem like they're, they're taking such big risks? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think most um, parents have that question, too. So I think traditionally scientists used to think that, scient- uh, that teens were more risky because of kind of how their brain was developing. So regions involved in planning and self-control weren't as developed, while, you know, regions involved in risk and reward were kind of heightened um, in these regions, which led to this kind of wired for risk, couldn't control themselves narrative um, about adolescence. And it's definitely a time where there are more risks being taken, but what we really wanted to point out um, is that it's not just about taking risks for risk's sake, but they're actually towards their developmental goal or their tasks at hand. What do you mean by that? It's, so they're not just trying to be risky. It's, it's really about them developing, and they have goals that they need to, to grow into developmentally. Yeah, exactly. So their main goals as adolescents aren't the same as you know, adults as the same as toddlers. So their goal is to really learn and explore about in the environment and about themselves. So for the first time really in their developmental history, they're getting more independence. That's a time where they're starting to go into this next role of being an adult with the goal of being independent. And so with that, take some risks. So it's um, exploring new environments inherently means you don't know what's going to happen there. Um, for example, you know, you could always go to the same uh, market that you always go to, but then you'll never know, you know, new opportunities that could be around the corner or, you know, different things that could be a better opportunity for you. Interesting. So it really isn't about risk-taking. It's about independence-making. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a really big part of it. It's um, learning about who they are um, just within themselves, too. So it's a period where they're kind of figuring out, who they are, trying on different cells, but can mean, you know, exploring and trying on, you know, just as you would with fashion, for example, you might pick out a hat where you're trying to, you know, do I wear the baseball hat? Do I wear it backward? Do I wear it to the side? Maybe I try the cowboy hat on. Um, and ultimately, you'll pick what feels best for you, like what feels most like you. Hmm. And teens are doing the same kind of thing, but with their whole identity. That is so interesting, too. I mean, I have a son right now that is just loving the idea of growing his hair out and just <laughs> thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. And every time I look at him, I'm like, oh, come on, are we not ready to do that yet? Let's, should we not cut that hair yet? But really what you're saying is it's he's just trying to figure out himself, try new things, explore, and and I guess our job as parents is to make that safe. Yeah, and it is a really tricky period for parents, you know, in infancy and, you know, prenatally, there's all these books on what to expect, and even sometimes by the week, on this week, you should expect this to happen, and then all of a sudden, adolescents come, and there's no, there's not as many books, I guess, to really tell you what to expect, and it looks so different teen to teen, so it can be a scary job for parents, too, to figure out how much, you know, control do I let go of? How much do I rein in? So it's a whole new avenue of figuring out 
what's too much control, what's enough to give away. Is it? Is there, and, and I guess the overall benefit of some of this riskier behavior, though, is that that they're they're learning, they're growing. I mean, I guess our assumption as parents is that they're not learning, or they they wouldn't you know they wouldn't go climb on the roof if they were learning. But um, but they're really climbing on the roof roof and sitting up on the roof or doing risky things to to be independent. Um, do do they? They they're doing this naturally. Do do they actually learn as they're doing this? Confirm for us as parents that that this is a learning process. Yeah, and it's a yeah, it's a great question to kind of think about. Um, but I think it's helpful to think of the lens that you're thinking through. So, for a lot of these decisions, we think, would we do this as an adult? Is this an alerting opportunity that we would take? And a lot of the times the answer is no, we wouldn't choose to learn that way, and so we don't understand why they would choose to do it that way. Um, but they have different priorities and goals that they're going toward, that actually the learning that they're doing is in service of that. So you can even think about maybe sneaking out, for example. Um, you know that there's a lot of risk there. Parents might think of how they're not learning or thinking about the future of those consequences that if they get caught or something really bad happened, for a teen, though, what they might be thinking is they're actually planning quite a bit of how to get out of the house without the parent knowing and thinking in the future, if I didn't do this, what would this mean for my peer relationships? So there is some thought and planning involved and learning about what's going to happen, but their goals are different, so they're kind of weighing different uh, risks and benefits than what an adult would be doing. Are there goals in their mind? Are they, are they overt goals that they actually recognize in their mind? Or are these just developmental like stages that they're going through and the goal is kind of subconscious? Yeah, I would say that probably varies peer, or adolescent to adolescent. And that's a, a good thing to think about, too, that there's just a lot of individual differences between teens so when we think of the risky teen, um, it's not all teens are out doing crazy things and they're all, you know, ending up incarcerated. Actually, most of us make it out of teens uh, years quite fine and we end up into adulthood. Um, so they are able to make these decisions and kind of get through it. Yeah. Do you – I mean, <laughs> parents, like you said, we use our filter and first there's – we know first our kids are sneaking out. We know someday they'll be drug addicts and then they'll be in prison. Um, that's kind of where our mind naturally goes. But yeah. but overall, you're saying that these these kids really are just – they're just doing what's developmentally normal. And we as teenagers would have done similar things just in our own world. Yeah. Exactly. So taking risks doesn't mean that, you know, your team's going to end up in prison or something like that. Um, and of course, there's different levels of risk. And so the risk that we're talking about isn't the really extreme risks that are involved in mortality um, rates or um, greater incarceration rates. So just this idea that kind of normalizing that risk taking is, in fact, something that is occurring and isn't most likely going to end up, for the most part, for most teens down this really negative trajectory path for them. What can we do as parents to facilitate um, healthy risk-taking and and independence-making? Such a great question, and it's a hard one because each teen is so different. And so I think the best thing that uh, parents have on their side is they know their individual teen the best. 
Um, and so with research, we kind of at this point are really looking at these averages. But what we also know is there's no such thing as the typical teen. Um, there's so much difference teen to teen. So beyond just age, understanding a little bit of what your teen is going through. So and actually a good um, analogy to kind of think about is if, um, you know, you're learning the high beam and there's a spotter there. And the goal is to, you know, eventually perform and be able to do tricks and perform and, you know, get rated on being on the high beam. So when you're learning, you have the spotter right underneath you and they're close and they're catching every fall and eventually they move away. And the goal is to have them on the sidelines. But sometimes, and if you think of the parent as kind of that spotter for the kid underneath the high beam, they might move away too quickly and the kid falls. So there's going to be some tumbles along the way. But eventually the goal is, you know, they can go on the sideline and they can watch from a distance. So sometimes it involves, you know, giving the kid the car keys with knowing this could be an accident, but eventually they need to drive on their own. So the parent also has to take some risk, too, of gauging when their kid is ready for that next level um, of independence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Again, we're speaking with Jessica Flannery, who is a graduate student in the clinical psychology program at the University of Oregon. Her her, uh, research interests broadly focus on how early adverse experiences influence the neuroendocrine pathways and functions. and Jessica, one of the things that uh, I, I wanted to ask you, because I'm sure you'd have some incredible insight for adults as parents, but also for the teens. If you were to speak to a group of teens, what advice would you give teens on on their developmental process of of becoming independent and risk taking? What would you be talking to the teens about? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of it would be to also give themselves some slack. I, I think teens really do know that they get a bad rap from the public, that they just can't control themselves. But, you know, give them a little bit of insight of, yeah, you know, things, some things might be a little bit harder for you. There are differences in how they are thinking about things, but that's not a bad thing. So I think I would just give some reassurance that, you know, they're figuring it out and they're going to be okay and that it is normal to be exploring and not sure what's going on. Um, and to, yeah, give that freedom to explore a little bit. Because it really is. I mean, it, I, I remember doing riskier things that and, – and like I just t- – talking to my son um, that's a senior in high school, the stuff he does, as a parent, I'm like, oh, yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. And he's like, I know. That's why I didn't tell you till now. Um, but – it, it really is. It's kind of a rite of passage, but to know that developmentally their brains are stretching and that a lot of this is very healthy, it's powerful. I guess the, the great thing would be is if we could make it safe enough for our kids to open up to us, to talk about it, um, so we can be that spotter for them. Yeah, and I think at least my opinion for that would be really that one of the best ways parents could do that is – Instead of, you know, the more we can think about what is their function of that behavior. So they're not just, if we think they're doing this to be risky, then we might get more easily mad at them for their behavior, not understand. Um, But instead of getting mad, thinking, why were they doing this? How is this helping their goal of learning and exploring their environment um, and going towards the things that they really care about at this time in their life? And so that understanding, I think, is a really key beginning step for you know, teens to feel comfortable talking to their parents about this. 
Yeah. Is there are there things to watch out for that tell us, okay, this risk is now we're just being stupid. Now it's just now you're really crossing a line. How do we how do we help to draw the boundary? I mean, obviously, anything that deals with mortality. um, But are there other are there other signs that we should watch for that is a boundary? It's a very tricky question, because um, really within culture that varies quite a bit. So there's cultural differences in what things are acceptable. There's differences within the U.S. even of what people think is different, so cultures within the U.S. And then there's just times within the U.S., so what things are appropriate or norms within society, what things we let teens do changes a lot there. So there's a lot of other variables that kind of tell us what is okay or not. So besides those really extreme ones where we're more at the mortality level, it it is really tricky because there's cultural differences that I wouldn't want to impose my own views on any one parent for that. Yeah. What, what, um, give us an example though of, uh, like a cultural view. So in some cultures, uh, adolescents play a larger role in the home during adolescence. So, Generally, adolescence is kind of thought of as this time where there's this, more broadly speaking, this reorientation towards peers. So they're caring more about what their peers are thinking than what their parents are thinking. But that's not always the case. And parents still play a really big role in adolescence, too, and how they're developing. And in some cultures, that plays an even larger role. So in adolescence, teens are gaining more responsibilities within the home, um, and so that would play a large role in what types of risks that they're taking and also their social identity and how they mm. perceive themselves. That's so true, isn't it? And, yeah, you, you, can't, you can't say what's right or what's wrong for any uh, one person. I mean, some people, they're not out yeah. doing – they're not out toilet papering houses and egging people. They're actually, you know, taking the night shift at home, making dinner for their brothers and sisters because mom and dad have to work. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a super important point to really drive home is that there's so much individual difference um, from teen to teen. So we don't just have this one teen that's this big risk taker. And for the most part, we all make it out okay. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that is such really great news. We're going to make make it out. This developmentally is normal. Foster, do what we can to foster their independence and help our kids be as healthy as they can uh, and and be there as, as kind of a spotter that can help uh, help them minimize as much risk as possible. Is there anything else, Jessica? I always kind of ask for the one thing. What's the one thing that um, overall we should remember about our kids as parents uh, th- as they go through the teenage years that would make the biggest difference, I think, for us and for them? Hmm. I think the big thing that I would say would be really important is to remember that they aren't an adult. Um, and so we shouldn't be expecting them to act like an adult. Um, I think that can be one of the hardest things is they start to look like an adult more than in the past, and sometimes they are acting like an adult, so those lines get really blurry. But to really just remember they're not supposed to act like an adult right now. Um, They have another developmental task at hand, and that's super important. So to not get mad at them when they're they're not being the adult yet. That's such great advice. Such great advice. Jessica Flannery, thank you so much for your insight on our teenagers and their risk-taking behaviors. They, uh, they're just they're, – they're normal. And the other great news is it sounds like, folks, they're going to come out. They'll be okay. 
they are seeking to be independent and grow some of their independence, which is essential at that stage of their life. We will continue the discussion straight ahead to a little Coach's Corner for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. you boy you too stupid to do what your coach tells you because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner play ball play ball hey what uh what do you wish your parents had done for you as a teenager i mean mine would say well we should have gone to hawaii a lot more but what do you wish they had brought for you what do you wish they'd created for you and um, maybe that's where we should begin with our kids is starting to figure out what they need from us. And every kid and every child, every adolescent is so different, aren't they? Some need a, a lot, I think, a lot of structure. Some need uh, and a lot of maybe coaching. Others need, it seems like, less coaching, but they just need support. They need you to be a cheerleader for them. Um, others might need maybe less cheerleading and even maybe more just you know investment financial and uh, and time and energy investment everybody needs something different but uh, one of the some of the basic things that we know the kids need more than anything is um they, they need to figure out somehow how we can how they can become more resilient a lot of kids i believe are terrified about the world they, they don't know how they're going to fit in. They don't know what kind of career they're going to have. So I think initiating some of those conversations with them when they're as they're as they're getting into teenage years um, would be a very powerful thing. I think another thing that would be really important that our children learn today uh, would simply be this the idea of how to work, how to actually put their head down and solve a problem and and figure out ways to grow and to develop and to learn to become a healthy a healthy adult. Uh, I have a son-in-law who was raised in a family that just they just work. Period. And there's no way around it. You just you just work. Um and so what a powerful lesson he has in his life because of how his father and mother set him up by by just, you know, you can figure anything out if you're willing to create uh, and invest your own time and your own energy and work. Another thing I think we could teach our kids um, on this growth to life is the power of character, that everybody has a journey to make and everybody has something to offer. And and their job, their responsibility is to go find what they are to bring to this world. And they have a responsibility to identify what their purpose is, their mission is, and they're the only one that can bring it. And they have a very unique responsibility as an agent, as a as a being on this earth to identify what that's going to be and to start owning or taking stewardship of it. So I would make sure with our kids that we are helping them understand what their purpose is. And at first it could be generic purpose, right, to learn, to grow, to develop. But then there will become a specific purpose, I think, that um, eventually appears for each and every one of us. And you as an adult might want to ask yourself, do you know what your purpose is here on this great big ball of mud? Because if you don't, um, then what are you trying to tell your kid to do? (laughs) How are you motivating your child if you're not sure – 
um, what they are supposed to be doing. So make sure you've got yours figured out a little bit and 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 help them with that. Another thing that I think every child uh, should have to learn to do and should learn to do is to learn to do hard things. Um, you, there's nothing more real about being an adult than you sometimes have to do things you just don't want to do because no one else will do it. I mean, how many times have you had one of your children come home and, you know, bleeding and like, uh oh, I fell on the fence and now we need to go get stitches. And then you're spending the entire night getting stitches. It's just hard stuff. And if we could teach our kids that, hey, it's not about what you feel like doing. It's not about, you know, what mood you're in. We're going to do hard things. And we're that's part of that work ethic I was talking about earlier. But um, that is something that would actually generate more and more character in our children if they had to learn how to do the um, – the, the hard things. Another interesting thing is being vulnerable. One of the lessons that I'm seeing more and more come into my office are a lot of young adults that don't, they don't know how to be vulnerable with other people. They literally don't want to tear down their walls. And they have walls that may have come just because of how we parented them or we didn't parent them. It might simply be because you know, they're suffering from their parents' breakup, their parents' divorce. It might be suffering from abuse or other issues that happened in their childhood, but they don't know how to be vulnerable. And so if we could help our kids with, with the ability to make it safe for them to apologize, make it safe for them to make mistakes, I think our children should be um, taught that mistakes are the key to life, and we need to make mistakes. That's that's how this works. And so um, what a powerful thing if if you could if you could somehow exercise their character to learn to be vulnerable in their in their relationships with others to admit quickly their mistakes instead of you know conjuring more stories up um anyway another interesting idea that uh i found that really strengthens character is the ability to to actually be silent you don't always have to say what you're thinking you don't always have to create more noise and more um more just just loud behavior and and ignorant talk. Sometimes it's best to just learn to hold your tongue, right? And again, these are all harder things to teach our kids because they might be a little reactive, but the older they get, these are things we should easily be able to, to model for them. And I would always suggest we start first um, with our own with our own activity, our own behavior instead of assuming, that these are just things that our kids should do. And uh, one other thing that we might want to be teaching our children is that um, that everyone is equal. Every other human being on this earth is equal to them in power and opportunity to become something. They may not be equal in reality because of how they were born. We Not everybody on this earth today has equal rights still. We say they do, but, you know, some people don't even know that they have rights. Some people don't even know that they can go to school. They can do other things. They don't see that because it's not a reality of how they live and where they live. But we as adults can help our kids see that how blessed they really are to where they live and, and the life they have and figure out how that they can lift other people to um, to higher higher life and a higher place in their life. So 
if we could teach more equality, we might actually see results of more equality later in life as as we go through that. So lots of stuff we could be teaching our kids. And again, we don't have to be perfect at it. We just have to be, I think, committed to it and trying a little bit more today to be a little bit better with our kids today. So what's here's the question. What's the most important thing that you need to to kind of integrate into your parenting today? What's something you can start doing with your children today? What's one of these areas that we talked about, whether it's equality or silence, uh, learning to keep their tongue, learning to uh, be vulnerable with others, learning to do hard things, uh, recognizing their own journey? What's something that you know you need to implement more with your children today and even implement more in your own personal life today so that you can have and be this great change that we need? Anyway, interesting stuff, folks. We're all on the journey together. None of us have, uh, none of us are always going to be in the pole position. That that role is going to rotate, but uh, we can learn together. We can lift the rest of the world together if we just share what we're learning. That's why we do the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, Julie Nelson is uh, has a master's degree in marriage and family and human development and is a contributor here on the Matt Townsend Show. She teaches classes such as applied parenting and marriage and relationship skills at Utah Valley University. Also is the author of the book, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. And a few months back, we talked about the importance of fathers in early development of their children. And we wanted to replay and revisit that interview. From the very beginning with brain development, and you know, it's it's kind of hands off for many dads. They kind of like to say, yeah. "Okay, that's mom's domain." And from the very beginning, she's the one spending all the time with the kid, getting up in the middle of the night and doing the feeding. And he just kind of waits till they're like what eight, and he can throw balls with them. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even younger, you could throw, you could wrestle with them when they're three, yeah, two, yeah. Um, so very beginning, we want to start that bonding so that we can get into the wrestling and feel like I can be a part of their life from the very beginning. Yeah, it, it seems like. Moms don't always like how we inject ourselves into the child's life. Yeah, see, there's, we overstimulate. This, there's this dichotomy where the fathers overstimulate and the moms want to calm down. Yeah. The fathers do the rough play. The moms do the cuddling. Usually and, dads end up accidentally hurting their kids more. <laughs> like my, my husband. I share this with my students at the university. We talk about this importance of dad and play. What happens when you put a kid in a room with a bunch of adults and you hand a, a nine-month-old to uh, off to a, a, a dad in the room or yeah. you know just a, a male in the room? What does he do? Throws them up in the yeah, air. Yeah, we start right? tossing. Yeah, like a football. Because we love them. Yeah, that's right. That's how we show we love them. And my husband, he, um, he, I don't know how old he was, a baby, and his his father had just returned from a tour of duty in Vietnam. hadn't seen him for like six months or a year <laughs> or something like that, you know. So he comes home. Dad's not been there for you. Everyone's so excited, and um, so he comes to the door, picks up my husband, who's a child, young child at the time, throws him up in the air a little too high. Oh no! Gashes his forehead on the chandelier, and they have to go to the emergency room. Are you <laughs> so he's got this scar on his forehead for the rest of his life. <laughs> but no, they do. They Thanks, do. Dad. Yeah, yeah. But research has shown that the the fathers from the very beginning who are more involved from the Family Medical and Medical Leave Act, um, that paternal leave really does play a part in the well-being not only of the, of the company, 
It does benefit yeah, the company, helps the company and of our economy, but the the children themselves and the family life. Yeah. Um, they find research that fathers are more involved in playing with their kids as well as their care, and the children flourished academically. Hmm. Um, so I think this this ingredient that the fathers bring into um, the dynamics of the home, where they do have more of this uh, physical play, yeah. And we're going to talk more about benefits of that because the it, it also just seems like. If he bonds with his kids, he's more predictable, he's safer, he'll be around longer. It's mm-hmm. he's a part of it. If he if he just kind of goes back to work, he's not going to be as bonded. Yeah, anything you invest in and yeah. anytime you um have that that time from the very beginning, then you feel like I am an actor in this person's um life and I need to be there and I have a, a a contribution that's unique to what the mother gives. And not that the mother can't do physical play as well and the fathers can't be nurturers, but they each can bring their own and and research has shown that fathers just tend to as one research says tend to engage in more physical, stimulating and unpredictable play than mothers do. Mm-hmm. Um this same research Researchers said that they what they did was rats. Okay, we always we only always try everything with rats first, right? Of course, right? Of course. <laughs> well, they're great fathers too. <laughs> they are, and um, if we damage their brains, it's okay, That's right? right. Yeah. But what happened was is they were they raised these rats in stimulating environments with complex toys and social contacts and acrobatic challenges, so more physical play. Hmm. And these rats outperformed rats that were reared in isolation. The rats had more synapses per neuron, more dendritic branching, and increased capillary flow. The Father's orientation towards the physical play creates a stimulating environment that is similar to that that was experienced by the high-performing rats. Interesting. Um, so you have the more blood flow. You have more of that complex, yeah. you know, the, the, the uh, um, dendritic. So, so it's maybe less communicative, but it's more mm-hmm. – but it, it, creates, it creates kind of a physiological benefit. Yes. And there's also this thing called the BDNF. Um, which increases the neuron growth in the parts of the brain when you have more of that stimulation. Hmm. It's responsible for memory and logic and higher learning skills, which is necessary for academic success for the first six years of their life, five years. Yeah. You are, you're stimulating the, the brain to do better, to perform better in school. So fathers play that part. So when mothers see, get a little anxious because yeah. dad's doing a little bit too much Why of this rough, yeah, yeah. it really is good as long as it's safe. Yeah. But it's good it's, it's okay. if they fall down and get, you know, owie, that's right. fine too yeah, um, because they learn one of the things that happens is is that, is that children learn that unpredictability is part of life yeah. and so when you have these um, give and takes and things are not always scripted like we're going to play a you know a uno or whatever yeah. and it's not just here are the rules roughhousing doesn't really always have rules no. you just kind of like tumble and up. wrestle and you pl- make it up and not everything goes the way you want it to and so you learn with socio-emotional development yeah. that um, you can have um unpredictability in your life. You can learn to read um, the difference between play and aggression when it goes too far. You bet. Which you, happens a lot. Which happens where you play and then it escalates. And then, and then the kids and cry. Then, and dad, dad has to go, hey, let's bring it yeah. down. And dad's the one that's kind of helping the child learn when it's going too far. That's that emotional management. Mm-hmm. Emotional, social, emotional intelligence helps children to read and interpret social cues. Yeah. That's what you're doing with fathers is you're learning how to, when someone's crossed the line, mm-hmm. when we need to pull it back. Um, it also um, has been linked with research to control violent impulses later in life because you know the difference. Yeah. I um, mean, you've been taught from, from very young. So um, you, 
also fathers, you know, moms do the cuddling, they do the kissing of the boo-boos, yeah. but dads have more of a tendency when things get a little bit more out of control, they distract their kids from the pain, maybe they got themselves hurt, they do some humor, let's go do something else yeah. now, we distract them. Take their mind so, off. Take their it. mind off so they learn how to cope when they're out in the world and they need to um, be involved with some maybe some painful situations. It's interesting, because you just, you think, oh yeah, we think everyone's replaceable. But you may not be because you naturally may be more of a an empathic person but may not try to overstimulate your kid, which a dad might tease, tease, tease. Oh, about to cry. Calm, calm, calm. Absolutely. Oh, make him cry. Oh, make him calm. Make, mm-hmm. oh. And these – it's an interesting benefit. Mm-hmm. And and it seems like an extreme to your partner because they're like, oh, why do you always stimulate the kids at 9 o'clock at night? <laughs> We're trying to get them to go to bed. Absolutely. That was Julie Nelson. Julie K. Nelson, we call her the bomb mom. And again, uh, she wrote the book, uh, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger, which provides a lot of great parenting tips on the show. Um, But uh, Jeffrey, see, so that's good news for you, Jeff. You are an essential, important role to the development of your children. I feel needed. You are needed. (laughs) And you need to wrestle with your kids more. You need to you need to have fun with them. You need to stimulate them. You help them understand how to not overreact to life. I'm trying to not just focus on the fun because I think there's a danger in that too, which I'm finding out. Yeah. My wife and I recently came to the realization that I think we spoil our kids. Yeah. So I'm trying to back off a little bit, be a little more firm, but also – Find more productive ways to spend time with them. Like, let's read this book together. Exactly, and, but, and make sure you make sure you uh, teach them to. I mean, make sure you stimulate them a little late sure. at night, so so that they have to learn to calm down. Yeah, they have to learn to relax. But then also taking things like chores and making them not seem like they're so much like chores. Yeah. So, for instance, the other day, my uh, six-year-old for part of her homework had to count to a hundred. Oh, okay. wow. Yeah. Um, and so and I thought instead of just having her count to 100, why don't I go hide while she's counting to 100 and then after 100, she comes and looks for me. How fun. So we combined it with hide and seek. But what if she didn't finish? <laughs> there was there were a few pauses, but she she picked it up and, and did an awesome job. That's pretty cool. See, you're a good father. That's a great sign that you're going to you're it's going to work. I'm going to make it. And the mere fact that your wife is home. And helping the kids every day. Yeah. And helping them understand how dad's got some issues. Mm-hmm. Thank heavens for moms that uh, walk the kids through our crazy little uh, our crazy little lives. That's it, folks. Hour number two. It's in the can. Remember, uh, we're doing what we can to give you the tools you need to pick up your game and be the good in the world. We'll continue the journey next hour. More fun. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. And yes, it is hour number three of the program. Today, we will be covering how to get your kids to listen without yelling. We've been talking all about kids today. It's kid day. Man. We, uh, we've got it. We've got to get you the skills and the tools so that 
You don't have to raise your voice. You, the hardest thing is just getting their attention sometimes. You know? Well, They're just so distractible. It's tough because you, one of the things that you learn in acting class is that you need to change your tactics. When you're not getting the thing that you're trying for, you need to change your tactics. Yeah. So maybe you start out this scene, I'm just going to talk very quietly and calmly. Maybe the next scene, I'm going to scream and yell. And then maybe the next scene, I'm going to break down and cry. I Which just, is like, I just described my parenting right there. <laughs> that, that's, how, that's just your evening of parenting. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a really fun night. What I like to do is rip my shirt off. Rent your clothes. Uh-huh. All the buttons fly. <laughs> and then I sit there and I just beat my chest. Oh. And the minute I do that, boy, do they pay attention. Then Actually, they start I think laughing. they run screaming. Yeah, then they're like, is it more of a Is it more of a hulking out situation or? Yeah, probably. Okay. Just sort of a rage sort more of, of a, more fueled. Of, it's more it's of a, a bulking out. There's a Wow. <laughs> Yeah, Sorry. there's less Hulk, more bulk. Okay, just I, I'm just trying to paint a picture here. It, and by the way, what a beautiful picture we painted. I hope. <laughs> so we will be talking with Dr. Paul Jenkins about how to get your kids to listen without yelling. But first, let's. Uh, by the way, one way to do it is just tweeting. Apparently, everyone really? pays attention to the president because well, he tweets. Yeah, but that's the only you know information that comes out of the White House, really. Yeah, on Twitter. Are those twits? Tweets. tweets. (laughs) (laughs) On those tweets on Twitter. Um, Let's get to the headlines then, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? An explosion at a FedEx facility near San Antonio, Texas, was reportedly caused by a package bomb that was en route to Austin, where four such bombs within the last two weeks have killed two people and injured four others. One woman was treated at the scene for a headache. But there were no serious injuries, more of a concussive sort of effect on her. Yeah, that's a big deal. They I mean, did. people could die. This had nails in it. It had nails in it, so they're they're using it as shrapnel type of thing. So uh, investigation is ongoing. They're not quite saying it's connected, but it was en route to the city. So, I mean, you can make the connection, but the police are still investigating. Yeah. The top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee is calling for uh, on the Trump and Ted Cruz campaign connected data firm Cambridge Analytica to testify before its Russia inquiry after the UK Channel 4 exposed Cambridge chief Alexander, uh, their chief Alexander Nix, discussing entrapping politicians, which followed revelations from The Guardian and The New York Times about the firm's illicit acquisition of 50 million Facebook profiles for its voter targeting. Virginia Democrat Mark Werner says it's time for Cambridge Analytica to answer the committee's questions. The uh, Channel 4 there in the UK has had a Three days. So Monday, last night they aired another piece. Tomorrow night they aired another piece. So a three-day. Ooh, like expose. On this, they have interviews. They've talked to people. Last night the video showed they were talking about using fake IDs and other ways to entrap politicians into certain choices wow. and decisions. So there's there's more here, they feel. Uh, but as it, as I said there, President Trump and Ted Cruz both used this data firm. Yeah. So it helped one, and it didn't help the other guy so much as Ted Cruz obviously didn't win. <laughs> so what's the effectiveness? We're not sure, but that's yeah. what they used. Uh, President Trump pushed his proposal, uh, proposed border wall as a method to combat the national opioid crisis in a speech in New Hampshire on Monday. 90% of the heroin in America comes from our southern border, Trump said. Eventually, the Democrats will agree with us, and we will build the wall to keep the drugs out. His call for additional border security elicited a standing ovation from the audience, who cheered and chanted in support of a wall. Attendees also applauded the... It's interesting, the support for the wall decreases as you get closer to the wall. 
It, it's strange. Yeah as, you, yeah, as you're further away from the wall, everyone's, oh, yeah, this is great. This is all for it. But once you get on the border, people are like, hold on. Do we need a wall? Yeah, we, we don't need it's a wall. Very, it's interesting how that works. His call for additional border security elicited the standing ovation. Attendees also applauded the president's pledge to deploy the death penalty for drug dealers, whom he called terrible people. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to make fun of anybody or, you know, put someone down, I, I think a drug dealer... Several places asked no word on if any pharmaceutical companies will be considered drug dealers since a vast majority of the opioids we're talking about came from them, not yeah. from heroin across the border. That's well, those a problem. Those are different because those are, those are on the stock exchange. Well, yeah. And the you know, campaign <laughs> it's contributions. A different kind and blah, of blah, drug blah. Deal. The United Airlines is suspending new reservations for cargo hold pet transportation as it reviews this business. The announcement comes just over a week after passengers, a passenger dog died after its carrier with him inside was put in an overhead bin. Ugh. Following the death of uh, Coquito, a French bulldog, the airline said there were several mix ups that sent dogs to the wrong destinations, including a German shepherd and mistakenly sent to Japan. United Airlines transports more animals in the cargo hold than any other U.S. airline. Uh, that's why they're having more problems. Right. That is partly due to an animal transportation business it inherited from Continental Airlines when the two merged in 2010. So that's why they have so many problems. They have a lot of animals. Oh, yeah. They're, and then, then, then they have to deal with the reputation. Shouldn't they know that you don't take a dog and put it in the overhead bin if they if they deal with this quite a bit? Wouldn't that be part of the... Yeah, you'd think so, okay. wouldn't you? Just trying to track that yeah. one. Authorities in Alabama are reporting extensive damage and thousands without electricity after a tornado tore through the state Monday. Governor Kay Ivey uh, said emergency crews have sent uh, been sent to Jacksonville and Calhoun counties, which appeared to be hardest hit. The storm reportedly produced baseball-sized hail, in addition to at least one tornado, ripped off roofs of houses, downed power lines in several areas. There were no immediate reports of casualties, but authorities said it could take days to assess the damages. Wow. Tornadoes. I mean, tornadoes mm-hmm. and uh, nor'easters. The fourth nor- nor'easter this year. Ugh. Or in recent weeks, I mean, you know, this Luckily, year. Luckily, like in the tornado, they were all at spring break. Yeah. I mean, that, by the way, that in and of itself is a whole other kind of storm. I've seen some pictures, yeah. yeah. It's a tornado in Miami. <laughs> uh, Tesla, they're seeking a, there's a job opening at Tesla. Oh, good. So yeah. if you're interested, looking for a job, we're, it's We're there. here to help. So the high-end car company, they, uh, they have a, if you have a knack for Tetris... That's, oh, yeah? that's what they're saying. Probably this may be the job for you. On Friday, March 9th, Elon Musk's car and solar panel company posted an opening for an entry-level position at its factory in Fremont, California, or actually just outside. The company desperately needs a valet and parking manager to organize its parking lots. Really? Tesla's parking situation, both at the factory and at its headquarters in Palo Alto, is notoriously disastrous. The Palo Alto space has about 600 parking spaces for an undisclosed number of employees. According to the Wall Street Journal, the Fremont location has 4,500 spots for 6,000 employees. Wow. So 4,500 for 6,000 employees. They need more parking. Yeah, absolutely. So it says it's gotten so bad that some employees arrive early to grab a spot and sleep in their cars before work. Really? So you get there two hours early, sleep in your car, and then go into the office. Well, I thought that was the benefit of having a Tesla is you could sleep on the way to work. Well, not yet. Not yet. But soon. Uh, the lots themselves even have unofficial Instagram accounts where the creators solicit submissions of the worst parking offenses. You know, people over the lines, people parking too close, people yeah. like you pull into the parking spot, but you actually cross the line into the parking spot in front of you, keeping the person from parking there. You know, just yeah, stuff like that. Totally. Just jerks in the parking lot. So they need 
a parking valet manager. Someone to fix the parking. By the way, I'm looking at the overhead view of their parking situation, and it is just horrible. It's like, yeah. We thought parking here was hard. I've never thought that, actually. There's there's people up on the sidewalks and all kinds of stuff in that picture. We get here at 6 in the morning. Lots of parking at 6 in the morning. These people, if you, hey, quit complaining. Get here earlier. That's why they come early. They come early, and then they have to sleep in their car just to get a parking place. But it looks like if you get a parking place, you can't get out. Huh? Crazy times. Crazy times. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about how to get your kids to listen without yelling. Dr. Paul Jenkins will be joining us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. You know, it's time. Dr. Paul Jenkins is back with us. He is a clinical psychologist, actually graduated right here from Brigham Young University. And um, also, uh, if you go to his website, Dr. Paul Jenkins, drpauljenkins.com, you can get all of his latest and greatest, including his book, uh, The Positive Pathological Positivity. I had to get that right. Pathological Positivity. It's uh, And someday we'll have you do the alliteration because you've got a really cool – yeah. We, we're not going to do it now because we got to get no. into this issue uh, of how to get your kids to listen without yelling. They wow. just don't listen. Yeah. So you got to yell. Common common question. Yeah. Why, why is it a problem? I mean you would think that the children would have such respect in their heart for their parents. Right. They just and want just to waiting listen. with bated breath just to – Hear what yeah. gems of wisdom right, are going exactly. to fall from the lips of their Not wise, happening, sagely it? parents. <laughs> no. But why? Because the kids are interested in their own thing. Kids have got stuff going on. They're doing their thing. Right. And they're busy doing it. Yeah. I had a client, Matt, that was a um, single father. Wow. Okay. Had three or four kids. Just pulling his hair out. As as he's talking to me about this problem, and he says, I have to yell and scream before my kids will listen. I, I have to ask them 12 times before they'll do something. <laughs> and so I asked him a question. I said, why did they do it the 12th time? Well, that's a pretty yeah, good question, a great right? question. Why do they do it on time number 12 did and not all the other times them? before? Did Well, check it out. So the kids are doing their thing, right? Yeah. And dad comes in and says, hey, guys. Finish up what you're doing and and come in and get ready for dinner or whatever. Yeah. Okay? And what do the kids hear? They dinner. hear. Yeah. It didn't even compute. There's, yeah. there's some kind of white noise floating around in the environment. And it's because they've been trained to decide if this is important or not. And I say trained to. I mean, we do it naturally, yeah, right? right. So these kids are thinking, wait a minute. Was that sound important? No, probably not. Yeah. I'm going to keep going with what I'm doing, right? So dad comes in time number two. Kids. Same thing. Come on. Yeah. And it registers with them as, well, is this important yet? Should I listen to this yet? No. No, not yet. Yeah, right. We're not quite there not yet. Not at crucial mass yet. Yeah. We haven't hit that threshold, right? Yeah. 
time eight or nine. You guys, you, now, come on. I'm serious about this. Yeah. Now, now let's get cracking. Yeah. And they process it again. Uh, no, close, but no. Yeah. Not yet. And finally, Dad is popping coronaries, and he's turning red, and veins are all over, you know. Yeah. And the decibel level finally hit a point of threshold. And so the kids hear that, and they're like, oh. Now something's this different. Is, this is where I need to pay attention yeah. because if I don't respond now, I'm going to get clobbered. Yeah. Some other. So I'm talking to this dad, right? And I say, clobber him the first time. Yeah, don't wait. <laughs> Just no. Go off right now. Don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating clobbering your kids. Right. What I'm saying is, what if we turned our words from garbage into gold? Yeah. So that when our, our sweet offspring hear the melodious tones of our <laughs> loving voice, <laughs> that they right? Would, yeah, sprint. That's, that's in a calm, cool frame and tone. Yeah. And they hear that and they're like, oh, this is important. I got to respond to this right now. Yeah. And they, and they move. And right. you, but so you can do it out of fear, right? So this is motivation, really, right? Yeah. You can fear them into it. How do you create the gold language that they actually want to hear? You know what? We train each other. Yeah. I was taking my little dog for a walk the other day. And one of my neighbors just jokingly said, so are you walking your dog or is your dog walking you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Honestly. It just depends on the day. He's trained me to do certain things. I've trained him to do certain yeah. things. And our kids are the same way. So we train each other. And our kids have trained us to yell. Now, when you think about it that way, it's like, wait, that's not fair. Yeah. Right? I don't want to be yelling. I don't want to be a yeller. Well, of course you don't. Because you're a sane, stable, loving parent. Right? But you but you do end up yelling. But you've been trained to yell because your kids respond when you yell. And that's the trap. Yeah. So what we want to do is put in a system that has our kids esteeming our words to be much more valuable. Yeah. Turn them from garbage into gold. And we do that through teaching and training them that there are consequences that immediately follow the calm, cool, collected parental voice. Yeah. And we don't have to yell. And 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 give us an example. Give us a taste. So if I'm trying to get my kids to come upstairs to have dinner, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to yell down five times. Right. What do I do? I like to start with giving two choices. There you go. Two choices. Always give two, okay? Now, your kids are going to try to pick alternates. Yeah. Um, They don't like your choices. Here's the key. You give them two choices, both of which you are completely fine with. All right? You're cool with either one. Yeah. Either one's fine with you. See, normally as parents, we give them two choices or we give them one choice, right? Yeah. And there is no other choice. So you you guys want to come eat or you want to just go right to bed? Yeah. Well, that might be an example. Here's the key. You got to be okay with both choices. Yeah, but nobody wants to, I mean, really, put your kids to bed at six? Most of the time, kids know that you're bluffing. Yeah. When you do... I, I remember a time when our neighbors had a little toddler, okay, three, four years old, and they're leaving to go somewhere <laughs> that's a couple of hours away in the car. 
And as they're loading up the car, and mom is frustrated, and this kid is just not cooperating, yeah. getting his shoes on, I think, was the issue. And, and she yells at him, Ben, you put your shoes on right now, or we're going to leave you here. Okay, now, are parents going to leave him no. home? No. Three-year-old kid? No. Does he know that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, my parents are more responsible than that. So They're he's got the, who's got the power? Yeah. Right? That was a bluff. What if mom gives him two choices, both of which she's okay with? Because she's not okay with leaving him home either. Right, right. And that was the trap. Okay, because he'll test her on it. He'll call her on that. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm not going to put my shoes on and watch. You're not going to leave me either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what if she gives him two choices that she's okay with? Ben, would you like to put your shoes on yourself or have mommy put them on for you? Yeah. Now, little two- and three-year-olds, right. they want to do everything they're themselves, sure. right? They, they like that little rush of power. Yeah. Is mom okay with either one? Sure. Here's another one. Ben, do you want to get in the car on your own? Or do you want mommy to put you in the car? Yeah. Either way. Do you want to go on my feet or your feet? That's great. Now, here's the other part, and you probably picked this up from those choices. You make sure that one of those choices you control. Interesting. It's a control thing. Think about it. When parents are yelling, they're out of control. Control, yeah. They don't feel any control, and that's why they go to the desperate yelling. Yeah. Because their kids have trained them that they can get a response from yelling. What if you control one of the choices? 100%. I mean, I can pick my kid up and carry him to the car. Do you want to go on my feet or your feet? Either way is okay with me. Right. Right. Do you see the power? What if they're older? Like, what if it is the kids in the basement? Mm -hmm. We're going to give them two choices. Two choices? You're okay with? The, and I both guess of them. Both of them. One of them would, we'd want to put in my power. And one of them you control. Do you want to come up and eat your food with us? Or should we just eat your food? What about? Because <laughs> that's what happens at our house. Well, okay. If they don't yeah. get up and eat, everyone's going to want to eat You're on the right food. track, yeah. Matt. You, you have to be able to control it. And with older kids or teenagers – you lose some of the control that yeah. you had when they were little kids right. or toddlers, right. Right? right? So you just have to do enough thinking. And and quite honestly, parents, we need to do a little more thinking than we want to. So more thinking that it would make it so you don't have to yell as much. Exactly. So spend some pre-work thinking. If you spend half of the time thinking that you're spending yelling at your kids, we're going to make all this kinds of progress. This is going to be great. This will be yeah, perfect. So you think it through. Now, what do you need to think through? What do I control? Yeah. And you make sure one of the choices is something that you control. Yeah. Here's an example. Hey, buddy, do you want to come up now for the free meal or later for the one you pay for? That's great. Yeah. Okay, now some parents are like, well, I can't make I'm him pay. Charge well, him. really? Yeah. Um, they're going to pay one way or another. Here's two more choices. You can go on, you can pay me in cash or I'll put you on my easy payment plan. Start doing work. Easy payment plan is code for... <laughs> I've confiscated one of the things that you really like, yeah. and you can get it back once you pay once me. Once you've done it. It's collateral. Yeah. I mean, too, I mean, I guess, does it matter that the that the um, the choice has – does it have to relate to the the actual issue? Like, like be logically tied yeah, does to it have the to? infraction? No. I mean, because we hear that, but then I think, do you guys want to come up for dinner, uh-huh. or do you want me to come down and turn off your game? Okay. Because that's what they're doing is playing a game. Probably. 
And yeah. so, I mean, at my house. So I'm thinking, you know, what's does really it have cool, to Matt? be tied? There's a little box, usually in the hall or the closet, <laughs> that controls the flow of electricity to it's certain rooms so of your home. Yeah. Would you like to turn that off yourself, or um, are you okay with me turning it off? I'll use the master switch up here. And, and you can just cut the power, right? Sure. I mean, you control that. Now, is that mean? No. Yeah. It's mean to yell. Yeah. And it's not, it's not in integrity with what you want. Well, get clear about what you control and what you don't. Yeah. Because when you give it that much thought and you really focus on, okay, what can I control— and don't worry about – I'm glad you brought that up because you don't have to worry about whether this is logically tied to yeah. whatever the infraction is or whatever the issue is. It doesn't have to be. The only essential item here is that you're okay with it because if you're not okay with it, you won't do it and it's an idle threat. Right. And that you control one of those choices because that one becomes default. Yeah. Think about it. You give your kids two choices. They want to pick door number three. Right? Right. Well, that's fine. They still get the default because the default is the one that you control. Yeah. And if you're in control, there is no need to yell. Um, Again, we're speaking with Dr. Paul Jenkins from drpauljenkins.com about how to get your kids to listen without yelling. Mm. I guess part of this, too, is um, you got to be okay with the outcome. And then if it works, I'd remember it. Noticed that. <laughs> because this, Let's do more of what works. This is going to be helpful, right? Because we can keep doing this. You know what, Matt? That's why people yell. That's why we yell it because worked. it worked. It's a trap. Yeah. Because uh, the trap is, oh, well, this worked. I'm going to keep doing it. Yelling is actually a reinforcement, and it increases the probability that the behavior you just yelled at is going to increase. Oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, and it's a parent trap. It, it is a parent trap. And part of this, it seems like, as we look at our kids as well, it's also yelling may not work later in life when mm. they have the power to just say bye. Right. So if you want to influence them, you, you want to, you probably want to start doing it in a more principled way. Calm voice, calm yeah. face, calm body. Yeah. No need to yell if you are in control. Right. And you don't want to show up at your kid's house someday and hear your child yelling at his child, your grandchild. Right. You're going to yell at them for that. You're going to be like, oh, that's (laughs) totally what I've handed down. Well, what else? What else can we do to make it so these things work? So we got to make sure we give them choices. We got to make sure we're okay with the outcome and that we have some control over at least one of the measures we're giving them. The choices we're giving them. You know, a part that we didn't talk about, Matt, and this maybe goes without saying, but we have to say it, apparently. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Take care of yourself. If you're feeling all frazzled and stressed out, you're more likely to yell, even though you've got other tools that you could use. Yeah. And that's just because of brain chemistry and how the fight or flight response kicks in and it shuts down the thinking part of our brain. I mean, there's there's reasons that we can point to in neurophysiology about why this happens to us. If we get hijacked by our own life, yeah. we're not in a position really to have a have the the influence that we would really love to have with our kids. So taking care of yourself, so huge. That's so true. I was on a plane recently. I always get reminded of this when they're going through the safety routine, right? Yeah, yeah. Put your own mask on first. Take care of yourself. Do you remember that piece? Yeah, absolutely. If you're out cold in the aisle, you're just in the way. 
Yeah, just probably part of the problem. Yeah, you know? you're you're going to become a barrier to the rest of us. So you get your own mask on because then you're in a position where you can actually step up and help out your kids. And some of that could be just getting skills, getting tools, getting educated, yeah. getting the information so you know how to do this. Well, you know, this particular title, How to Get Your Kids to Listen Without Yelling, yeah. I did a YouTube video on this. It's had over 20,000 views amazing. in a month. And it's and it's because people are really looking for some tools. Yeah. They want to know what they can do to get past this thing that doesn't feel right to them. Because yeah. when you yell at your kids, how do you feel afterwards? Oh, you feel horrible. Yeah. Well, but you're just mad at them because they cause you to turn into a monster that you're not. So you're really actually mad at yourself. They're just doing what works. They're being a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And they're testing it out. Do I need to listen yet? Nah, not yet. And I guess to some degree, too, um, with all of these things, you you could let them learn, too, from their behavior. Just the, like if, 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 if honestly, better way? if I really? invited my kids up to eat mm-hmm. and if they're not going to make it up to eat, my wife always then still makes them all a plate, covers it, seals it with a kiss and then, just puts it away for them. Then why should they but come? But I'm like, eat? no, let's eat their stuff. Let's eat it. <laughs> If they're not going to come now, let's. There's got to be a consequence to not being there for family dinner. So, let's not starve our kids. Yeah. But honestly, Matt, the average American kid is not starving. No. Right. Yeah. So that's not what we're talking about, folks. Your kids can miss a meal. In fact, it's good for you occasionally to fast yeah, for a absolutely. meal or two. Um, what if the two choices were: Hey, would you like to eat with the family or not? That's it. Now, <laughs> they're, they're going to say, well, I'd rather play Fortnite. Well, okay, yeah. well, we're eating now. So if you want food, What usually now. happens is that mom or dad is not okay with that choice. No, exactly. That's why I said two choices. You're okay with both of them. And you control one of one them. One of them. Now, if you can't control whether your kid's going to come up and get the food, you can control whether you charge them for it That's or right. not. That's right. Or That's whether you have you... food available. Yeah. After. You get to control that. Would angle. you like the free meal with the family? I like that. Or would you like to buy your own meal later? Yeah. Well, and, and then when they're there, make sure the meal is positive and friendly, not right. full of rancor and anger. and Give them a reason to want to be there. Yeah. So good. It's like you've done this before, Paul. Yeah, I can't remember if I have or not. <laughs> you must be a father. Yeah. How well, many kids do you have, Paul? I got four. Two grandkids. Yeah, you've learned yeah, you've learned. That's where you learn this stuff. But I've also had so many brilliant, amazing clients over the years that have taught me from their own experiences oh, yeah. what works and what doesn't. So from 23 years of clinical experience in working with families, this actually works. Yeah, this works. And and works in a principled way. Yes. To establish a peaceful, loving environment at home. People are yelling and screaming. That's not fun for anybody. No, no. And it traumatizes kids and it teaches them a pattern that they then perpetuate in their own families later on. Yeah. So the more you can attach to these kinds of principles and practice them in your own home, calm voice, calm face, calm body. I learned that from Nicolene Peck. Yeah, yeah. uh, Great specialist and, and expert in parenting. It increases your power as a parent. And I don't mean... That unrighteous dominion kind of a power, you yeah. know, where you just control everything because you're the parent. 
It's the kind of influence that comes from a calm, loving, benevolent parent where those kids know that they're loved no matter what. And when the parent speaks, those words are valuable Hmm. and important and crucial to my success. Yeah. Right? So then, then your kids really do start to listen and you're not yelling. So you've trained them to respond to a calm parent. That's powerful and, and principled. And uh, boy, to finally just have peace while you're parenting again, that's, that's the goal. Dr. Paul mm-hmm. Jenkins is his name. The book, uh, Pathological Positivity, is the book he wrote. But if you go to his website, drpauljenkins.com, you can find a lot of great stuff, including Live on Purpose TV. I guess there will be a link there. That one's on YouTube. That's on YouTube. Yeah, YouTube Live on Purpose TV. And b- by the way, dozens and dozens and dozens of topics with Dr. Paul teaching um, stuff for parents, for couples, just for human life. That's what it's, it's all like about. It's like the Matt Townsend show. It's a lot. Every day. But, uh, yeah, but, you know, you get to handle it with uh, Dr. P. That's right. Good stuff. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. We'll continue the journey up next. Do a little Coach's uh, – no, not Coach's Corner. We're going to do a little Empty News with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, It's time now to go to do some empty news with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Jeffrey, what's up? I'm going to give you a story that sounds, you know, pretty normal compared to other stories. Yeah. Um, But then I'll give you the twist at the end. Ooh, excellent. I don't think you'll be able to guess what it is. So there's this guy who stole his uh, neighbor's car. It was a 2005 Ford Escape. And uh, the resident said that the the neighbor said that this guy broke into the apartment looking for keys to her vehicle so he could flee to the Peoria International Airport. Once at the airport, he tried to ram his way into the terminal. He then accessed a restricted and secured area, made his way onto the tarmac and onto a plane. What? Once there, he realized the plane was empty, and he left the plane and ran toward a Peoria Peoria County Sheriff's deputy's car, where he used a landscaping brick to break out the back window. Oh, boy. The plan? To take the car and drive to Florida, according to reports, the deputy was able to shut off his car remotely, and then he and others corralled the suspect after he tried to run away. (laughs) Uh, Here's the twist. Can yeah. you guess why he was doing all of this? Uh, it has uh, something to do with the title of the car, 2005 uh, Ford Escape. He was running from prison. He was worried about an impending zombie apocalypse. Okay. So apparently he had other th- other things on board. Right. No yeah. word as to whether or not uh, any zombies showed up. By the way, does he know how to fly an airplane? I don't think that was his main concern. <laughs> I think he was just trying to get as far away as possible. Clearly, he wasn't thinking. Yeah. Clearly. Um, but, you know, for somebody that wasn't thinking, he got kind of far along in this, in this non-plan. Plot. If yeah. only he could have flown an airplane. How about a travel back in time story? Let's do it. Okay. Where would you, by the way, where would you travel to if you could go back in time? Um, I would go to Jerusalem. Really? Or and Israel. Mm-hmm. Time of Christ. 
Okay. That's where I'd want to go. It's very noble of you. Well, I just don't want to be, you know, I'd hate to like fall into the, you know, I wouldn't want to be in a battle royale between major countries somewhere. I just want to be in a nice, peaceful, loving place. Well, there are parts of that that weren't so peaceful, but we don't have to talk about that right now. Um, So there is a Colorado family that went to the store, picked up a box of 100% natural granola from Quaker, took it home, sat down around the table, started eating it, and uh, noticed that it tasted a little off. The wife took a couple of bites, uh, whereas the husband Mm. ate an entire bowl of the stuff. Of course he did. They uh, take a a closer look at the box, come to find out that it had been printed or the the, uh, best buy date was February 22nd, 1997. So they were eating a box of cereal that was 21 years old. So in a way, they were traveling back in time, right? That's not kind of the travel, time travel we're looking for. Well, it's probably the closest you can get, though. Just eating expired food. That's bad. Yeah. I don't care how you look at it. That's bad. Okay. Wow. That is some seriously bad news for that family. Always check the dates. Always check the labels. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. You're not going to want to miss it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Yes, it's time to head down to our good friends at BYU Sports uh, Nation. Spencer and Jerem, we're going to find out what's coming up on their show today. Hello, gentlemen. I love the music. Is that Requiem for a Dream? Yes, it is. Oh, so epic. And a great song to use with sports highlights. I know. Do you know why we're doing it? No idea. Not sports. Not for you guys. Because BYU won a a national national competition. Did you hear? Now, I know that. The national championship. The National Collegiate Landscaping Competition. For the sixth time since 2003, Matt. Unbelievable. Back to back. More than 60 universities competed in the annual event, and BYU, again, best landscapers in the nation. I can appreciate some good landscaping, Matt. Are you guys, are you guys good at taking care of your house and your yard? Well, not to uh, toot my own horn, but... I did assist my father, Kent Linton, in having the nicest yard in Clinton, Utah. Wow. Uh-huh. Says who? Says the city of Clinton, who honored him. Nice. Uh, yeah, you, Jerem. Guys, not to brag. S- sorry not for to brag. asking a simple question. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, you asked, you asked with the intent of me, making me look dumb. I, not, to, not to stop your fight, um, <laughs> but I won the same award in Sandy, Utah. Oh, did you really? Actually, it was the year after I bought a home that had a really nice yard. And then it just went down. That's how you do it. Yeah. It's so much easier to buy the title than it is to actually earn it. Wow. Well, listen, in Sandy, Utah, that carries a little bit more weight than Clinton, Utah. I mean, well, yeah, but you're a Linton in Clinton. you, You are Clinton without the C. That's all big Kent. You know, I just mowed the lawn and trimmed the, <laughs> Big pruned the hedges. <laughs> uh, notice, notice that uh, Jerome is not saying anything. Why are you so quiet, Jerem? Just waiting for Spencer to yell at me again. What? Oh, stop oh, it. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Did we hit a nerve between you guys? 
Okay, let's we'll, we'll we'll change it. Okay, here here's one for you, Jaron, because this is one I know you'll totally relate to. Uh, a family bought some cereal, some granola. They ate. They opened it up. It was a little nasty. They dad ate the whole bowl, by the way, and then they checked the date on it, and the cereal was from 1997. It had a best best oh, wow. by 1997. Uh, what's the what's the worst thing? That you ate that you probably shouldn't have eaten, but you know, but you still pushed it through. On my LDS mission trip to Brazil, <laughs> one time. So, so for those that don't know, you'll stay in a house or an apartment, and <laughs> you don't know how long the food's been in there per se. Yeah, because you're there six weeks, maybe three months, maybe four and a half months. If you're crazy, if your mission president's if you're uninspired, yeah. you stay there six months. <laughs> uh, I was in a place for six weeks. Well, three months. I wasn't sure how long the milk had been in this fridge. Uh, For some reason, I decided to try it. Uh, that was a huge mistake. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Brutal. But, but with milk, you kind of know, right? You can, you'd you think you'd know. You'd know. You'd think you'd I was, know. I was a uh, crazy 19-year-old. Yeah. A.K.A. 19-year-old. So you pushed it. You just pushed it through. Yeah. I just, I just took a drink. I, I don't think I swallowed it. Was it cottaged cheese yet? No, not quite. I could have got out some tortilla chips or something at that point, right? <laughs> it would have been and some peaches if you're like sixty plus. Yeah, if you're sixty, yeah, that's good. Oh. <laughs> My mom's like, I love these peaches and cottage cheese. I'm like, what? Are you crazy? Oh, that's sad. But you, you survived. You're here to talk about it. That sounds like a good mission trip. Um, it's hey, a great what mission trip? <laughs> what uh, what what's on your show today, gentlemen? Man, loaded show today. Of course. Like, so many different fun elements. You brought up one of them, a national championship for BYU. Yeah. And just in time for the spring equinox, we'll have uh, <laughs> some more on that coming good, up. Good. <laughs> Break down good. the equinox. Good. You're going to cover equinox. The equinox doesn't happen for about 20 minutes. Okay, good. We've The hypothetical hurry. hype train is rolling, Matt. Yeah. Conference realignment starts and ends with the Mountain West Conference as mm-hmm. currently constituted. All those in favor? More opinions being thrown out there. Should BYU go back to the Mountain West if Gonzaga were to leave the WCC Uh and go to the Mountain West? Uh, It's a growing number of fans, it would seem, that are pining for the Mountain West, at least with basketball and some of the other Olympic sports, not necessarily football. But, yeah, where do you stand on all of that? Interesting. And which former or which current, rather, BYU quarterback did ESPN mention as a player to watch this season. Really, and the running and he's he didn't plan last year's team. the uh, The running back that last year, Fred Warner, told Kalani Stocky, "Can we get him on the field?" That didn't see the field and is making waves in spring ball. We'll tell you who that is. Whoa! Mm-hmm. And I have the only time you will ever root for St. Mary's, Matt. Really. A situation has presented we, itself. It's an incredible situation I, in the okay. NIT. Yeah. We're going to talk about why I'm actually rooting for St. Mary's tomorrow. <laughs> really? Yeah. And uh, it's BYU baseball game day against Utah. You can listen to that tonight on uh, BYU Radio at 8 Eastern. Watch on BYU TV. Is that game here? Mm-hmm. It is in Provo. It is. Jerem Jordan is on the call. Is it on the carpet? It's on the carpet. It's on the uh, turf. Yeah, so the dirt... We've decided, or I have decided anyway, that when a ball is in the dirt because it's not dirt, we will just say derf. The derf. It's in the derf. It's in the derf. The There's derflets all over it. It's in the derf and the gurf. 
Have you guys been down on that field? Is it pretty awesome? It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's amazing. In what? fact, Mike Littlewood told me yesterday it's the best part of our season so far. Really? <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of nine and nine. Well, he's cu- he's coming row. off a, a three game sweep at the hands of LMU and BYU's RPI dropped forty one spots from ten to fifty one because of that sweep. Uh, forty one spots. Yeah, brutal. Wow, brutal. Yeah, that's like that's like the national landscape winners BYU like dropping five hundred spots. You know? Yeah, something like that. It's big. I mean, if it's we're talking equivalent, it really is. If we're talking equivalencies. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Gentlemen, have a great show. Knock them dead. Oh, that is, you know, I want to get down on that turf. I hear they heat it so that you can, all the snow will melt. And when they were heating it, wouldn't it feel so good to just roll around on it and warm your body? Yeah, when I was there Thursday night and it started snowing, I was not thinking about how warm it was. I was freezing. Yeah, you had a chance to participate a little bit in the intro of the of the game. Right. And you took your daughter? Yes. And how long did you stay? We stayed, I think, like four and a half, five innings. Did you really? She stayed that long. And it turns out, you know, it, it was the perfect time to leave because we found out on the radio that they had stopped the game a half an inning later anyway. Oh. Because of the snow. So I said the prayer... Prior to the game, and in the prayer, I asked that the rain would be stayed, but I didn't ask for the snow. See, you, so it's my fault. It probably is. In fact, I heard them talking about that on Sports Nation. And they went on to lose that game four to, or uh, yeah, four to seven. It's the first time that the pregame prayer was brought up as a cause of a loss for BYU. Congratulations, Jeffrey. Hey, it's time now to talk about our hero of the day. Our hero uh, is an off-duty New York firefighter who rescues his neighbors from a burning building. While walking home from the subway last Thursday, firefighter Robin Douge saw black smoke billowing from his neighbor's two-story house. And although he was off-duty, didn't have his gear on him, Douge ran into the home uh, and through the flames to save a family. He said, I'm not a hero. I'm just reacting off instinct. The father of three told the New York Daily News. When I heard the kids screaming, it hit home. He, uh, Douge, a resident of Jamaica, Queens, has been uh, with the uh, fire department in New York for five years. He was able to get a grandmother and her two grandchildren out of the building safely. He brought the trio over to his house, and they were treated by the paramedics. His neighbors praised him for his bravery. But uh, Duja's wife, uh, Crystal, wasn't surprised by his act of heroism. It's just who he is. She said, he's Superman. How cool is that? The woman's married to Superman, for heaven's sakes. He ran into a burning building. That's a firefighter taking it to a completely new level. And uh, that's what a hero looks like, folks. They're amongst us, and you are, I believe, one of them. We just need to be willing to, to give a little bit more and to be there for the people we care about. Uh, that's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier, happier life. BYU Sports Nation is up next.